That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Built by High Caliber Millwrights, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, site of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. That's right. Welcome in to our live broadcast from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club in beautiful Aloha, Oregon. And couldn't ask for a better day alongside Stephen Vaughn. I'm Judah Newby. And we'll be joined by a bevy of celebrity golfers along the way. Scott Ruick will be along with us, the women's basketball coach at Oregon State. Jim Etzel, director of uh, Sport Oregon, will be alongside. Dale Scott and Jim Joyce, two longtime umpires in the big leagues. Plus, Miss Oregon USA, Manju Bangalore will stop by. And a host of other golfers as they make the turn. We are perched right here outside the clubhouse right off of the 18th green as golfers finish up at 18 and move their way over to hole number one as we uh, just enjoy ourselves immensely. It's always one of my favorite days of the year, the annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament, which benefits the Bald Face Truth Foundation, the 501c3 nonprofit founded by John and Anna Kanzano, the namesakes of this here radio show. Stephen Vaughn joins me. I'm Jude Anubi. It's great to be out here, and it's the first time that I've gotten to do this show with you, Stephen, and that's also fun. Yeah, you know, I uh, I was not on location last year. I uh, was just starting, uh, so I was back in the studio. So it's uh, it's good to be out here and see all the uh, all the celebrities and how much fun they're having, and you know, for all the good that this this foundation does and the golf tournament, it's really cool to see in person. Uh, just the effect that it has on these on these people and how they're doing it and uh, having a good time. And the, the sponsors of Kanzano's show all year long, they come out and, and support in full force. you got High Caliber, The Wall, Bricks Tavern, uh, Shoe Mill, White Claw, Gresham Ford. I mean, first call, like all the advertising spots that listeners hear throughout the year, they're all out here. They're all playing. They're all uh, partnered with celebrity golfers. And I'll tell you what, by judging the leaderboard, we got some really good golfers, well, I guess, there, Stephen. That's the best part is, like, <laughs> everyone is – and that's what we love about sports, right? Like, we love the competitiveness. All these people are so competitive right now. Like, it's just, you know, an exhibition golf tournament. We're having fun, raising money. No, like, these people want to win. Like, you know, we're trying to catch some people between the 18 and the first hole, and they're like, hey, no, we can't talk. We're focused right now. We got to go to the next hole. We got to tee off and have a good tee shot. So we'll talk to you later. You know, it's not about the radio to them. It's about winning the tournament. <laughs> and I love that. As a competitor, like, that's what I want to see. We saw Shantae Lagan the uh, head men's basketball coach at University of Portland. He's playing with uh, the group at Shoe Mill. And uh, they, they were like, no, we, we got to keep playing to keep this thing moving because we won it last year and we want to keep our pace up. And they just eagled 18 there you go. To, to start off their day. Uh, we'll try to update the live leaderboard throughout the day. Right now, 
the and we got access to the leaderboard, which is also uh, really fun. We got a three-way tie for the lead right now, Stephen, at uh, seven under par. Seven under is the spot to be, including uh, our own Alpha Media crew. <laughs> Let's go, huh? Flagship of the BFT Radio Network at 750 The Game and Alpha Media. They're uh, one of the leaders at seven under. I mean, I don't want to call cheating, but I feel like, you know, someone needs to be watching them. Just knowing those guys, well, I mean, I will say they are playing their celebrity golfer, quote unquote, is uh, one of my good uh, good buddies, Casey Kloss, Rob Kloss's kid, had a cup of coffee in the NFL as well. So he's, he's, carrying, he's carrying. carrying. He's team. an athlete. He's an athlete, and uh, Casey, I'm sure, is carrying them. But uh, don't sleep on the other the other members of that group as well. We got Coin Six anchor Adam Bjarnson. He's playing with the group that's also uh, at seven under and. Longtime former major leaguer Tom Gorman is uh, among the leaders at seven under. I love Tom Gorman. Hopefully we can uh, run into him along the way. But it's a it's a good time held by all, and we'll uh, we taped some interviews and conversations uh, earlier this afternoon as the golfers were getting ready to go out on the tees, and uh, some of the golfers will also swing by live with us along the way, Stephen. But uh, that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I want to give a shout out to Jim Ferretti who's anchoring things back at our 750 the game uh, home studios, and Jim with our uh, news partner KX. Excel uh, is is working what three or four j- different jobs today, including yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. holding it down for us. But Jim, shout out to you, my friend. Thanks for putting this together. You were out here last year, and I know uh, you've got some personal ties to uh, the foundation and what it means for the youth. Absolutely, my daughter Lily is taking part in uh, in his camp each year for the last couple of years, and uh, actually being back here in the studio for me is kind of like coming full circle. I started out as John's board op. And wow. news and, and anchor. Uh, so I'm sorry. Sitting here is kind of kind of bringing me back to uh, you know 20 years ago. Man, you work in radio long enough, you will see each and every possible angle of the industry, won't you? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. <laughs> well, thanks to Jim Ferretti for uh, for anchoring things back home for us as well. And Stephen, there's there's a lot of news as well. We will uh, we'll get to that. Some of the latest on Damian Lillard. Some of the latest in the NBA because we are on the eve of NBA free agency. The James Harden news broke about an hour and a half ago or so that, uh, and that was interesting. You know, a lot of people thought it was, uh, you know, inevitable that he would sign, that he would turn down his player option and sign with Houston, come back to the Rockets, and then it was no. I'm pretty sure he's gonna re up with Philly and just opt in. And now it's like, well, he may opt in, but he's getting traded, and the Clippers and the Knicks are in this. I mean. I know you love you love James Harden. He's one of your spirit animals. I actually, you know, what James Harden, he 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 chokes in the playoffs, but he's a really good basketball player, really good offensive basketball player. And it's interesting because, yeah, I, it was all kind of thought that he was gonna decline his option to become a free agent. But I think what this says, Judah, is maybe the market wasn't as hot on James Harden as he thought it was gonna be, and he wanted to make that thirty-seven million dollars for sure, guaranteed. Hope to have a big season, then re-sign another deal, but. You know, he wants out of Philadelphia, which I also think is interesting. You know, what does Philadelphia do now that Harden seems to be out of the loop there? Is it Tyrese Maxey, Joel Embiid? Are those the real two guys you're going to build around? Are they going to look to trade for somebody? You know, not mentioning any names here in Portland, but you know, and Fernie, and for, no, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, they they're looking for a guy that can handle basketball now that James Harden's gone. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Philadelphia does. But you know, Harden, you know, from all reports, it seems like he he didn't really want to be in Philadelphia. You know, I have heard Phoenix or uh, Houston. I've heard Houston a lot with James Harden, but we'll see. Does man. he fit with that young team, though? I, I don't and know. And a defensive I, the, head coach in Eme? I think the thing with that is you look at it, and Eme wants to compete now. 
right? They, they didn't bring in Ime Udoka to compete in three years. They probably meant to compete now, and I think Harden can help them do that. But I'm with you. I don't know what the fit is there in Houston when they got all these other young players, but they want to be, you know, trying to be compete, be as competitive as possible. And you look at that in the Western Conference, how good it is now. It's like, man, you know, if Houston's going to try to compete, Utah's going to try to compete. You know, Dallas is already competing. It's like, where does Portland fit in this? Does Portland fit with these teams? Are they, should they, should they really be going for it and trying to compete in this tough Western Conference, or is this is this the perfect time to just you know go young? It goes back to that question, but well, it's I, a question. I don't know. Yeah, it continues to be a question because there hasn't been a clear path, and uh, as long as there's not a clear path, there will continue to be that that ambiguity, and that results in having Dame Lillard on the roster at 33, and uh, Scoot at 19 years old and a bunch of other obviously uh, young up-and-comers the Draymond stuff what's your quick take on the Draymond stuff? you've been out for the last couple of days uh, but you're back with us now and in the meantime you had Draymond and Dame uh, allegedly talking together were they at El, El Gaucho the last couple of days who knows but it doesn't seem like there's any like realistic scenarios to get Draymond Green to Portland from a salary cap standpoint even though man his fit here I would like I would like to see that. And that could be the answer that Dame's been looking for. The fit would be perfect, to be honest. Like Draymond Green for how annoying he is, how much I don't like him like on the court, like personality wise, he's a great basketball player. Hall of Fame level player and you know the Blazers need defense. He's a defensive stopper. Like that's what he does. But you know, Judah, I just want to know is it true or is it not? Were they there? Were they there? Nobody seems to know what the exact The people is. that say definitively that they were at El Gaucho are exactly the people I would not trust right. to I, get it right. <laughs> I ask people, and I'm like, were they there? Nobody actually has a definitive answer, but yeah. I, I don't. I, it's a long shot for Draymond Green to come to Portland because if it's a free agent move, it would have to be for the mid-level exception, which he's not going to make more than that if he wants to anywhere. And then if it's a, tra- a sign-and-trade, you know, what does Golden State want from Portland? I don't know. It would be hard to match salaries, but again, I think if Portland does choose to decide – to build around Damian Lillard, Draymond Green, you know, was towards the top of people that you'd want yeah. to get. So I'm all for it if Portland chooses that way and they want to go it, but uh, that's not my choice, not what I would do. But Draymond Green would be a good figure in Portland. Yeah, he absolutely would. But uh, in all likelihood, they'll have to probably pivot to some other scenarios unless Draymond was interested in taking a little less money or can Cronin work out some type of back end black magic with uh, with a three team? I, I don't know that I trust Cronin quite yet to be, pull off a move like this. That. I couldn't even say it with a straight face. I'll say it. I'll say it. We can't. You can't trust him right now to pull off a move like that to get Draymond to Portland. Joe C. You're not putting him among the top executives. In not the quite right now. Not quite yet. Do we have a nickname for him? We got to get a nickname for Cronin. Joey Crow. Joe Joe Crow. Ah, that doesn't even like. That's not even a good one though. Well, well, we'll think about it. We can't it. go JC because it's already JC, and that's too easy too. Well, uh, but he'll have to earn it with a with a big move this off season. If he does nothing this off season, it might be like sit on your pants, Joe, or something like that. Sit on your hands or something coming because he keeps saying we're building a winner, and I've yet to see the proof. I've yet to see the proof that he's actually serious when he says we're building a winner around Damian Lillard. Uh, we'll continue to talk some NBA and big headlines around the sports world as this day keeps going. He is Stephen Fawn. I'm Judah Newby. We are live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club in Aloha. It is just a spectacular day. Weather has cooperated beautifully. We are in the shade, so that also helps. We don't have to be in the sunshine uh, hitting any approach shots or uh, leaning over some uh, knee knocking ten foot putts that bend left to right and go downhill. I make those, by the way, each and every time. But we're just uh, sitting here having fun and, and uh, enjoying the show. And we've got a bevy of interviews with celebrity golfers, 
that will air throughout the day. And uh, let's start it right here. We had an earlier conversation this afternoon with the winner of Miss Oregon USA, Manchu Bangalore, who uh, stopped by. She was going to be on the show yesterday. Uh, she ended up uh, being able to make it today. I'm sure she'll pop on again with Kanzano uh, later on this summer as well. But it was a lot of fun getting to know Miss Oregon USA, Manchu Bangalore. Here is that conversation. It is just a beautiful, beautiful day out here at the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club side of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament alongside Stephen Vaughn. I'm Judah Newby, and we are pleased to be joined now by uh, one of the guests we've been most anticipating this week. It's Miss Oregon USA, Manju Bangalore, joining us on the show. On the show. Manju, great to meet you. How are you? Thanks for making time, and thanks for being out here. Of course. I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome, and I'm really excited to be supporting the foundation today. We were talking a little off air. How's your golf game doing? Um, <laughs> never held a golf club before, so this is going to be a first for a lot of a lot of things. So I'm, I'm just, again, excited to be supporting the yeah, foundation. That's the beauty of it, is that there is going to be a lot of people just like you out yep. here having a good time exactly. and just relaxing, having conversation. And uh, I believe you're playing with our friends at NSI Industries. So that's going to be a lot of fun. They're, they're out here each and every year. So that'll be a, a fun group. What's life been like for you in the last calendar year or so since uh, winning Miss Oregon last fall, was it? Yes. And, uh, and everything that's happened since. Yeah. So I won Miss Oregon USA in October of last year, and I'll be competing at the upcoming Miss USA this year. It's been a dream come true. I was talking to my friend today this morning and I was like, I still can't believe I'm Miss Oregon. Like it's such a honor to get to wear this sash and crown. I've gotten to do over 80 appearances since October. So I've been staying very, very busy. Wow. Uh, and I'm also preparing for Miss USA because Oregon's never won Miss USA before. So hopefully we have a first here and bring home the crown to the state. Yeah, that would be great for Oregon. That would be awesome. awesome. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I was reading about you. you. You're an astronaut, NASA. You're very smart. What, what do you when do you feel the most pressure? Is it at a pageant? Is it when you're uh, going to be traveling to space? Like, when, when do you feel the most pressure? Because for me, I feel like if I'm in my element, you know, and I'm you know doing space stuff, if, I was, if that's how it's called, space I'm, stuff, space stuff, <laughs> sounds I, I, good to me. I would feel good, but like when everyone's watching me as a pageant, like I feel like that'd be more pressure. Like, what do you feel pressure on there on yourself? Yeah, I think it's more. Uh, not necessarily on stage because I've grown up on stage because I'm uh, along with the astronaut stuff I'm also an actor um, so I've grown up on stage and in front of cameras but it's the it's sometimes I don't always trust my training which I need to get better about and I know I've practiced my walk I've practiced my routine I have gone through all the sets of questions they could possibly ask me about but when you're in front of the cameras on stage sometimes you're like did I do did I do enough like yeah. did, is there anything else I could have done and it's it's easy to let anxiety kind of creep in but that's what the training's for is to kick in and be like you got this you're gonna do great just believe in yourself and believe that what's meant for you won't pass you I think it's it's so fascinating the prep work that you do for that kind of stuff like i don't think a lot of people think about that even in this job like people that you just crack a microphone and right. start talking about it i mean talk about just the preparation you do going into those pageants you know months years before that just to make sure you are you know on track for what you're doing absolutely yeah a lot of my training i don't think of necessarily just as pageant training like my on stage question on my panel interview for pageants i'm preparing my whole life every appearance i do every radio interview i do every tv interview i do it prepares me to be as well-spoken as possible as succinct as possible and to really get my message across so all these different things i'm doing with my appearances or with my space stuff or anything else um 
is is preparing me for the job of Miss USA. I'm glad to hear space stuff is a technical word. Yeah, right. I mean, sounds technical to me. Yeah. I, mean, I went to college, and you know, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> Hashtag space stuff. Hashtag uh, space. What stuff. was the internship like at NASA? Yeah, so I did five internships at NASA. One Only at, five. Yeah. Only five. Oh, man. <laughs> one at Marshall That's Space Flight Center in, Al- in Alabama and four in the astronaut office at Johnson Space Center in Houston. Um, and I also did an internship at the White House under President Obama in the Science Policy Office. Uh, and the internship at NASA, Johnson Space Center in the astronaut office, I was working on the cockpit displays of the Orion spacecraft That's go- that just went back to the moon and will eventually take astronauts to Mars. And in the cockpit pit, there's three different screens that control the entire spacecraft from avionics to propulsion and everything in between. And on those displays, you can pull up 75 different on those screens, you can pull up to 75 different displays that control the spacecraft. And I built five of those 75 (laughs) displays while I was there. Wow. How long have you been interested in hashtag space stuff? Hashtag space stuff. I've been um, I've been interested in space stuff since I was about four years old. I grew up in Oregon. I'm from here, and my parents would take me to the Air and Space Museum in McMinnville. Yeah, yeah. I'm from McMinnville. Oh, so. amazing! Hashtag McMinnville. <laughs> That's our next hashtag. Um, and so they're gonna love that back where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Evergreen Air and Space girl. Oh yeah, yeah. Spruce Goose. Yep, yep, oh, that, exactly. I grew up with that. It's really exploding down there oh my gosh it's uh, you know incredible. since, since I, I i grew up down there but uh yeah it's it's such a fun place it is. to go and visit and that's a huge airplane yeah yeah howard hughes <laughs> yep yep so i grew up going there and that's where i learned about like astronauts in space and mm. airplanes and all of that and that's where i learned about an astronaut her name was kalpana chella and she was the first indian woman to go to space and i didn't understand the concept of representation at like the age of four or five but i just knew someone who looked like me doing this incredible thing of going to space meant that I could do it too and she unfortunately passed away in the Columbia disaster mm-hmm. but her legacy is like so- something I want to follow uh, because she's just such an icon to me you, you wrote a children's book correct yes okay. I just published it I, yes as a father of two and Judah has a little girl you know, oh. growing up I have two boys yeah. eight and four I want to say thank you first of all because some of those children's books are just kind of whack out there. so <laughs> I, I hope know, mine's not whack and so I want to I'm gonna get yours and they like to read so uh you know what was your thought process like going into that and uh you just you know want to inspire young people everywhere just what you know, what's that book about and how uh reach kids yeah so uh, aside from my astronaut stuff in my science career I'm also a signed actor with my manager and agent in LA I'm also I just modeled for Sports Illustrated Swim last year um, I run two nonprofits, so I've stayed busy in many different careers and I wrote a children's book it just got published June 9th it's called you can be all the things you want to be and it's to encourage children to dream big and adults to revisit their childhood dreams of wanting to be a multi-hyphenate or a renaissance man or woman right and so it's about a six-year-old her name is Zara and she wants to be a filmmaker chef pianist astronaut that's it <laughs> that's it that's it at the age of six yeah. like very underachiever and she's trying her best to accomplish her goals all at once and people keep telling her she's like scattered and she's trying to do too much she's trying to take too much up to space it's too heavy of a rocket um, all of that and she ends up persevering and if you read the book you find out if yeah. she makes it or not it's, it's just so good because I mean yeah you know, like I said as a father too like yeah. books are so important yes. like whether it's just reading and the lessons you learn so my little girl is always asking me to read to her oh my and gosh. it's the best it's the best yeah <laughs> yeah just, she'll just mosey on over me and just boom, show herself right into my lap say read please Aww. and so uh, we'll incorporate your work into uh, into one of our reading sessions so it'll be a lot of fun yeah but between now and miss uh, the miss usa mm-hmm. pageant which 
is going to be in October-ish. Maybe September, October. September, yeah. October. Uh, you've already done 80 sound public appearances, mm-hmm. you said, since winning Mr. Working USA last fall. What are the next few months going to be like for you, and, and what else are you working on? Yeah, so I um, have been doing a lot of events with my children's book. I have a book signing in Corvallis and a story time on Sunday. Um, I'm throwing the first pitch at the Portland Pickles game. Yeah. And yeah. My people. Yeah, and I um, the first time I held a baseball was last uh, last weekend, other than like I think PE and sure. like, elementary school or something. <laughs> um, the only other time I held a baseball was to throw the first pitch of the Corvallis Knights game, and it did not go well. But I did my best, and that's what matters. That's right. Um, so I'm throwing the first pitch there, uh, and then I have a little bit of travel. I'm going to see Miss Texas USA of who's going to get crowned for Texas, mm. and we'll be competing against. I guess against all the girls at Miss USA. I'm doing some more travel. I just designed my evening gown for Miss USA, so that's in production. I'm doing interview training, walking training, fitness prep, all sorts of things just to kind of get get in the zone and get ready. Yeah, I know your family also means a lot to you. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, how's, your, how's your dad doing? Yeah, so my dad has had Parkinson's for over 15 years now. Um, he's My parents are older parents, and he's turning 80 this year, which is such a blessing because um, old age, I think of, is, is a blessing. Mm. And he... Uh, he has tremors. He freezes. Um, you know, he has mental health implications from Parkinson's. And so one of the things that I've done uh, to kind of help him is, one, advocate for people with disabilities. Yesterday, actually, we were at his doctor's appointment, and they refused to give us a wheelchair. And so I ended up posting about it on Instagram. One of the facility members saw it, and the medical director reached out to me last e- yesterday evening, and they're fixing everything I I voiced, which was wheelchair access, accessibility button to automatically open the door, and personnel training to ensure that um, people know how to deal with, or not deal with, but interact with disabled patients and their caregivers. And I also started, the second nonprofit I started is called Painting with Parkinson's, and it's to provide free painting kits and free art classes to anyone in the Parkinson's community, and that's because painting has been shown to help with tremors and freezing, and I believe everyone is an artist, everyone has a creative side, and they should be able to indulge in that and experience that side of them. For those that want to keep following you and your story as as you move forward, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. If you guys are on TikTok, it's at Astronaut Manju, M-A-N-J-U. And uh, you can also follow my Miss Oregon journey at Miss O-R-U-S-A. Just hashtag space stuff, dude. Hashtag space stuff. That's it. That's it. Manju, Bangalore, Miss Oregon, USA. It's great to meet you. Thank you. Thanks for spending some time with us. And thanks for being out here uh, raising money for a good cause and having fun. Thank you. I hope you all have a good day. Big thank you to Manju Bangalore, Miss Oregon, USA, for joining me and Judah there. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we got more from the reserve for the ninth annual BFT Golf Tournament right here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. It's live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. Mark Wazikowski passing us right now. Shout out to the Oregon Duck head baseball coach. Full disclosure, I just uh, talked with Waz a little bit, and uh, we'll air that interview a little bit later on today, fresh off a deep run in the college baseball postseason all the way to the Super Regionals and hosting a third and decisive game. And he just saw his good buddy Jay Johnson lead LSU to the national title in Omaha. So uh, Mark Wazikowski coming on through, and uh, we'll have that conversation a little bit later on in the show. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn live from the reserve. We just heard from Manju Bangalore, the reigning Miss Oregon USA as well, and her hashtag space stuff. 
That was a pretty fun conversation. I mean, I, I just didn't know what to say. You know, I wanted to sound smart, and you did. Just, I, I feel like I came across pretty smart in that interview. Thank you. I will say that's one of the joys of this day is getting to know people a little bit more that otherwise you would not talk to or not be able to uh, to get to know. I mean, think of all the things that she does. Like, I mean, all the things in the world. I'm just here talking about sports. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How hard can it be? But at the same time, I think you pointed something out to her. You're like, you know, people just think you just crack the mic and go, and it's no I problem. To, I wanted to give us You're some like, credit, Judah. You know, an internship at NASA is just like an internship at 750 the game. Uh, perfect. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say, you know. Going up to space just as important as talking Damian Lillard trade rumors. Yeah, that's right. Well, copy and paste uh, that storyline, that's for sure. And we'll talk a little bit more, Dame, later on in the day as well. Another big story that broke this morning, courtesy our own John Cazzano on johncazzano.com and, of course, the host of The Bald Face Truth, is the fact that uh, there are two pretty clean sites that Portland Diamond Project is going to uh, bid to have control over for a potential ballpark for a potential big league team. Those sites being at the uh, Lloyd Center Mall and the other one, a brand new name, brand new location that no one had really considered yet, and that is uh, out there at uh, Red Tail Golf Center and the Red Tail Golf Course, which is publicly owned by the city of Portland. Something I uh, forgot about, and so the city technically has control over that. Uh, and so those two sites are being uh, put forward now by Portland Diamond Project, and there's documentation out there, and Canzano obtained it and reported on it that uh, seeking control of those two areas. That, that's interesting, and the fact that, uh, you know, obviously one is more Portland proper, one's more suburban, uh, but we're going to talk about it here in a moment with Jim Etzel, the uh, CEO of Sport Oregon, who is always involved in a lot of the conversations in the background. But, Stephen, that seemed to be a significant development. There were there were two kind of steps this week, one, and both of them reported by Canzano, one that a whale investor, an anonymous whale investor, is seeking to potentially buy out the charter members of the Portland Diamond Project at their initial entry point, plus interest, all of them, just so the whale investor could be the one controlling uh, partner at Portland Diamond Project. That's interesting, and whoever that whale is, we kicked that around earlier this week. But then secondary, this location news, it's like, okay, now we got two significant pieces of news, and it seems like momentum is building, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think if you if you want if you want Portland to have a baseball team, this week has been a good week for you. And you know, there's been news, like you said, of that whale, and now the renderings of what potentially could be a stadium. And, and for me, it's like it doesn't matter where the stadium's at, as long as they get a stadium here and they get MLB to Portland, I think it'll be great because you know the fans here they would be they would love it, right? They would love yeah. it, they would enjoy it, they would be embrace the team a lot, and I think Portland. Is one of those markets that you know deserves a baseball team to have here and uh, have another professional team. So I'm all for it, and uh, this is good news I think all around. If you uh, are an MLB to PDX fan this week with all the big news coming out by uh, our own John Canzano. Yeah, big week for John, and now he's out here putting on a golf tournament. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man never sleeps. Uh, but on that note, let's go ahead and air our conversation that we taped uh, just earlier this afternoon with the CEO of Sport Oregon, Mr. Jim Etzel. All right, welcome back to the show. Alongside Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby, live from the Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament at the Reserve, and we're sitting down now with Jim Etzel of Sport Oregon. Jim, it's great to uh, see you, great to be here with you on a busy day, and but also it's great to be out here playing a little golf for a good cause. Thanks yeah. for making it happen. Absolutely. Good seeing you, Judah and Stephen. Yeah. Excited to be here. Better than the office. Better than the office. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is, <laughs> hey, in this day and age of remote work, 
Why not just work at a golf course? And get your work done that way. Hey, sign me up for that. I don't. I haven't seen that posting yet. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll uh, I'll work on that. Uh, a lot to get to with, with you, Jim. And first of all, you know, John Cazzano had a report this morning on the MLB to PDX front that was uh, that got a lot of people's attention. That uh, earlier this week he said, "Hey, there's a whale out there that's looking to potentially buy out the charter members of of Portland Diamond Project at their initial entry point and interest." So it's like, okay, someone's really got this on their radar. And then secondarily, two locations um, that are basically being declared by Portland Diamond Project for possible ballpark sites, one being the Lloyd District area that we've been talking about, and the second being the Red Tail Golf Course area out in, the, out in Beaverton. Your overall thoughts and takeaways from that news, Jim Metzl of Sport Oregon. That's a lot. Uh, first, <laughs> yeah. I want to start with... Um, can't say enough about Craig Cheek, Mike Barrett, and the crew at Portland Diamond Project. I mean, six years they've been banging the drum and keeping this vision alive. And there's not a lot of places or people that could sustain. This is a marathon. And they knew that from the beginning. It wasn't a sprint because they had to create the vision and uh, for this. And then there's a ton of other work. But at the end of the day, they never control the timeline. The timeline's controlled by when's Major League Baseball will be going to be ready. So Craig and Mike and crew, they they were all about being ready for when the moment came. And I think we're, in, we're entering a moment in time where the opportunity potentially for baseball has never been more immediate and real. And that's super exciting. And then, you know, obviously um, the story out this morning about the two sites, um, it's real um and that's also the key for the diamond project and for portland for that matter is um for the diamond project to be able to control um a site Mm -hmm. uh and because we've seen what's happened in tampa bay and oakland for the last 25 years those teams were never able to control a site um looks like tampa bay is finally in a position oakland's in a position in las vegas now with a site right so um Nothing happens in you know movement of teams or expansion uh, until those two situations are resolved and they're halfway there with they're done with Oakland it looks like I mean they're still they got to apply for relocation and then Tampa Bay it looks like things are looking upbeat for them in Tampa and now you, you know everybody's hopeful that baseball turns its attention to expansion sometime soon here whether that's in the next three months six months or eighteen months but it feels like we're we're approaching the start line on this. If you had to guess, do you think it's more closer to three months or eighteen months? Like, I mean, you, you can, is there is there anything in between, or do we know yeah, they, that kind of they, stuff? they play it pretty close to the yeah. vest, you know. But you know, it's always interesting. You know, you, you know, there's a lot of talk around winter meetings and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I think as again, things uh, the the A's officially apply for relocation because they got to get approval from the owners. Is that? process takes place whether that's next month or early this fall or this winter then i think you know we'll start to read the tea leaves and hopefully get some sense of where baseball is you know and i think portland stands in a great position i mean um you know from west coast market you know i think our competition is is us and um in Salt Lake, um, you know, Nashville's a strong contender, Charlotte, uh, Orlando's put a deal out there, Montreal, but, you know, if there's a West Coast location, I like our chances. The balance between, or at least the conversation between, hey, have it, you know, in, in Portland proper, maybe put it in the suburbs, where do, where do you come out You're on that? You're baiting me here, uh, <laughs> um, and I gotta, you know, well, there's, there, only, there, yeah. there's, there's pros and cons, uh, I believe there's pros to both, mm-hmm. you know. 
there's not a lot of cons. Um, and I have a preference personally. I'll, I'll keep that one closed for a while because uh, we're we're in the middle. Of, we're at the table in the conversations with the two parties, um, playing our role, our lane, and um, so being respectful of those conversations and giving them the best opportunity for success for both the city and for and the cities involved in both both locations. Um, um, even though one of them is suburban, and in uh, the Diamond Project. So, um, you know, as much as we probably all want to hear more information or share more information, uh, you know, to get this process where it needs to be, I think you know, keep our head down and keep focusing on, on the ultimate goal of locking down a site and having a good a backup site, too. The, the fact that Salt Lake got into the picture a little bit, does that get Portland's attention in a helpful way, you think, in terms of competition or um, narrowing the focus or you know hey competition makes you better right in anything in life professional sports whatever um so i, th- I think it was good i mean um it it it's going to be a competitive marketplace for the opportunities out there amongst the cities that are going to put their names out um so competition makes you better hopefully i think it'll make portland better i think our key too is alignment and getting you know all all the interested parties align. Alignment's a key to success. And 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 in the you know Portland Diamond Project, everybody's been all the parties have been working really hard on aligning and getting on the same page here over the last three to five months. Formula E swung through town recently. Uh, what was that like? It was awesome. <laughs> uh, completely different motorsports experience than NASCAR and IndyCar. No knock on NASCAR and IndyCar. NASCAR events sold out two years in a row. IndyCar just keeps climbing the ladder, getting bigger every year. Uh, this is non-traditional. It's electric racing, kind of a Formula One chassis. Uh, uh, a lot of the team owners from Formula One you know, have, have teams in this. Um, but it's it, it was amazing. Uh, I've never seen, and I went to the first IndyCar race when I was in college in 1984, never seen PIR built out or look this way. It was a chamber of commerce day like today. But the build-out was absolutely mind-boggling, what Formula E came in to, and did and built at PIR. Um, you know, from you know, it's the future. Uh, if we looked at the demographic out there i was blown away uh you know it was 20 30 40 something in some ways almost felt like the vibe was almost like a rave in a way i mean they 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 were just into it all day and and there's so much to be seen and done throughout the day and there was only the one primary race and and then the qualifying um and uh everything earlier in the day there weren't any supporting races so it was all about you know Formula E, where the world's going from a sustainability standpoint, um, not just around racing, but um, around the world in general, uh, music, culture, everything. Um, the, it was a diverse audience. It, there were a lot of families out there, and it was buzzing. And people, I, 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 I had an adrenaline rush until midnight <laughs> that night. I couldn't settle down and fall asleep. But I was really excited what it did for the city. We had 3,000, probably up to 3,000 foreign visitors flew into Portland. So the international airlift was amazing. Um, and then, you know, check all the boxes on you know, national television, CBS, global television. Um, but I think that um, economic impact of this race is is significant um and and we're the only track now six years ago there were no major events at pir had gone 11 years since the previous indycar race and here we wake up today and we're the only track in north america 
with these three um, circuits competing at at one track wow. during a season. That's and I yeah. uh, we I think we are the only track in the world to have those three um, racing organizations at at the same track. So it's not just North America. So pretty cool that in six years Portland. You know, got back on the map with IndyCar, uh, doubled down last year with NASCAR, and then this year, I'll say it, we're the motorsports capital of the Pacific Northwest, north of San Francisco, and all the way inland. So, how about uh, that's that? That's pretty cool. It's crazy. Yeah, that's it, a sweet title. It, it's one of those things where it's just you know the city just it, it eats up this type of stuff. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, not not as an off-brand sport, but you know, you you think about like the Timbers and how the support they get there. You know. Portland's always looking for something like that. Yep. Now you know. Now we're gonna have the women's final four yep. here in Portland. Um, you know, talking about that a little bit, like how excited is that gonna be? That's gonna be really, really great support with how the Ducks and Beavers have really turned around their programs. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, UP being awesome as well. Yeah. PSU was in the yeah. tournament a couple of years ago too. I mean, you know, so I mean, women's sports has always been tr- tremendously supported. We like to say that. <laughs> And there's no better place for women's sports than the state of Oregon, mm. city of Portland. I mean, Thorns, you know, all the examples you just said. Um, and going back decades. Uh, so um, winning the Final Four was big. Um, it showed that Portland's viable. Yeah. We're back. Um, we got we got to get back in a lot of different ways. But yeah. you, to, the Final Four wouldn't have picked Portland if we were a disaster zone. So uh, we, we, first of all, we beat out West Coast markets up and down, all the primary ones, you know, Bay Area, Southern California, Vegas, <clears throat> Sacramento, uh, Seattle to be a finalist. They all wanted it. And then we got in that final group, and we were fortunate to win. But it gives us a North Star. It gives uh, the, everybody a North Star in the community, like, you know, come to Portland. And uh, from an event perspective, whether it's a convention or a sporting or entertainment event. So it's it's uh, something that's a, a huge win for our organization, but on behalf of the community and with the community. You know, our, our bid partners are Travel Portland and the Portland Trailblazers, Rose Quarter, and uh, University of Portland. That was huge. Um, and we're going to get a lot of wins between now and then because of that one and the same thing with formula e and nascar i mean all these are adding up to tell the story about portland i mean the fact that formula e sold out no one know where the heck formula e was it's such a and well and not to blow smoke but we're lucky to have a sport oregon be the advocate because without that you know advocate that is you know really has a passion about it is on the front foot about changing the narrative around yep. a lot of national perception around this this market in general and sports market in particular it's great work that, that you're doing jim i know i my uh my little girl is almost two and so when i hear 2030 i think she'll be eight years old yep. and i'm already got that in my head taking my yep. eight-year-old girl to the women's final yep. four yep. just gives me a level of excitement a level a north star as well of like and there's got to be so many dads and parents out there thinking similarly. Yep. I think that's just so cool and so yeah. awesome. And so you mentioned between now and then, what else is on Sport Oregon's radar and uh, in the project? Well, there's notebook? there's a lot of things that we're currently bidding for. Um, a lot of them are things that people don't notice in town, and that they're not big spectator events, but they're big uh, impact events where they drive a couple thousand to up to eight or nine thousand room nights, and those people are spending money in Portland or from out, you know. So that's a huge piece of what we do. Um, we got some bid cycles coming up with the NC2A. So this next year, in 2024, we'll host the for the first time. Well, it happened for the first time this year. This new regional format that women's basketball has, where they have two uh, quadrants in um, the regional finals. So there's only two regional sites with mm. eight teams with two teams rolling out. Mm. So think, let's just say we're going to have the West and Midwest brackets in Portland. So awesome. we'll have eight teams 
teams so the regionals will be four event days at the Moda Center uh, that's going to be huge um, by the end of 24 is the bid cycle so we're going to be bidding for more uh, men's championships so first second round someday we'd like to get a regional yeah. that's dreaming big uh, but we'll keep swinging for it um, we'll we'll be bidding for women's regional I think there's a good shot that we can win another women's regional leading into the final four. Uh, I would expect to. Um, we're going. We're talking about um, women's volleyball championship, which would be massive, especially at the time of year it is. I think we could sell at the Motor Center for that. We're even looking at wrestling. Um, uh, Frozen Four uh, would be a, a stretch because our host institution would be Alaska Fairbanks, but why not dream big? Uh, but you know, with the Kraken in Seattle, I think they're probably going after that one. So, but um, we just think that everything's achievable, and you never know. You got to get in the batter's box and take cuts before yeah. you uh, can say, "Oh, we can't get that." I mean, know? NCAA tournament stuff is just the best. I mean, I yeah. just love it. You, know, you look at the uh, you know the NCAA baseball tournament yeah. down in Eugene, just the yeah. atmosphere there. I was uh, I was at the uh, first time when it was at the Moda Center for yeah. the men's tournament back in two thousand nine. Yeah. Uh, I just found my old ticket stubs that I had. It was just a great time. Like it's just it's cool. You know, I think that's the, the this area is so hungry for that yeah. kind of stuff, especially college stuff. We, lo- yeah. we love the college oh, yeah. here. I mean, just look at the halo effect of All Star being in Seattle coming up with baseball coming up, and how many people you know here that are driving up, whether they got a ticket to the game, or they just want to be a part of the action or whatever. But you know, that's uh, you know, there's like two years ago we were able to three years ago got iron man to come to salem and now it's the number one rated iron man event in the country as rated by the participants and those people come and they spend an entire week even though it's a yep. one-day event well, the final and, four is gonna be so cool because oregon missed out with sabrina oh I mean, yeah just always because of that just, that that sucked it does suck you gotta get back yeah. in portland yeah you mentioned the iron for man. sabrina i know uh former timber nat borcher is all about the iron man oh yeah and, he uh, competed in salem oh, yeah yeah, yeah it was pretty that. awesome <laughs> yeah 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 the big red machine was oh, trucking through there one of a kind and our thanks to jim etzel ceo of sport oregon joining us here on our live broadcast from the Baldface truth foundation celebrity golf tournament here at the reserve oh good stuff jim etzel sport oregon uh, we're going to bounce break and come back, wrap up Hour 1, just underway on a beautiful Thursday, live from the Reserve. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Newby on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. With Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby. Well, it's going to be a, a great show. Hour one's already flown by. We've already had conversations with Miss Oregon USA. Uh, that was a lot of fun to catch up with Manju Bangalore and uh, Jim Metzel, the CEO of Sport Oregon. Uh, this will be a, a bit of a more brief segment, and then we'll continue to uh, air some conversations, including uh, longtime big league umpires Dale Scott and Jim Joyce stopped by, and we had a wide-ranging conversation about the game of baseball and the All-Star game. That was so much fun, and uh, talked about how uh, the 1979 All-Star game was uh, on the TV the other day, and I was like, wow, I forgot Seattle had an All-Star game before this year. And then, of course, they had one in 2001 as well, one of the more famous seasons in Mariners history. So that conversation will be coming up uh, here in a moment. We'll also hear from Oregon State women's basketball coach Scott Ruick, longtime Nike executive Fred Schreier, uh, just recorded some with Ducks baseball coach Mark Wazikowski. So that will be coming up later on the show as well. But uh, it's a fun day. It's a great day to be out here, uh, Stephen, and uh, it's a great day to, uh, to, to catch up with some celebrities and watch a little golf and not have to be out there in the sun. Yeah, and not having to uh, actually play golf because, you know, as I said, I'm not a great golfer. So uh, I like to just watch. I'd rather just watch these people go out and play and uh, have a good time and 
you know, uh, yeah, you know, see, to see these celebrities and the people you see on TV and just a different atmosphere and seeing them golf and just being being just a person. I think that's the coolest thing. Uh, you know, checking out the leaderboard right now, Judah. Uh, we got uh, Lisa Johnson, former Nebraska women's golf coach, is in the lead. Her group, they're minus eleven, with uh, Tom Gorman right behind them at minus ten. So uh, off the air, Judah, I told you Lisa Johnson's team is going to make a comeback, and uh, I should have put some money on it. We may or may not have a little side bet going of uh, who we think is going to win this one. I go, I went ahead, and it's a bit of a biased pick, but I uh, I took Neil Lomax's team. Because uh, uh, I know how often Neil plays, uh, and he's pretty serious about his golf game. Uh, well, he is playing with Bricks Tavern, and right now, where are Bricks and Lomax? They're one of the leaders, or one of the third place uh, crew at nine under. The leaders are at eleven under right now. So, some people going low today, Stephen. I definitely low numbers. That's the thing. I didn't, I didn't fit in with these people. These people are too good at golf. Yeah. How do you How do you get good at golf? That's the thing. I, I don't know. You play in a scramble like this. And there was more, one year more than once a year where they let you buy red rope, you know, like the the yeah. red licorice that yeah. you can buy it for like miles, and you can buy a certain amount of red rope, and then you know you can basically measure out some red rope to earn some gimme putts. Basically, if you're like you know five feet from the hole, you can measure out some red rope, and hey, now you're down five feet of red rope, but you're also down one fewer stroke. So we saw a lot of eagles <laughs> that, that golf tournament. That was a lot of fun. I was playing that day with a bunch of guys from Oregon State football. I remember back when uh, guys like Mark Masseri were, were back around Oregon State. Uh, I guess uh, Brian Wozniak, who's now the mm. tight ends coach at Oregon State, uh, by the good group of tight ends at OSU, yeah. uh, but Waz was uh, was just a, I think he was a GA at the time. But we were playing in a group, and it's always a lot of fun. That's just an example of just like how many different uh, people from different uh, walks of life, and and uh, whether it's sports related or not sports related, a lot of great people out here today. Just the, the way the world is today, to see a group of people get together and you know raise some money for the right reasons, you know kids that's the way it is with kids I you love got it. two little kids. i got two kids you got a kid Kanzano's it's starting to kids. matter a little yeah. bit more knowing like oh no it's a good thing to have kids in good you know safe communities playing out summer camps get them out of the house a little totally bit. <laughs> yeah and you want to tire them out you want to yeah. do all that kind of stuff so it's 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 cool to see everyone come together for this you know one thing that you know once a year in this golf on a great day at the reserve which is a great golf course like yeah. it's just just perfect all the way around. We had uh, just saw Rob Kloss a second ago, the long time, uh, well, the former Duck uh, men's basketball player, and uh, his his kid Casey uh, used to be neighbors with Casey. Used to watch a lot of football with uh, with Casey Kloss. That'll wrap up hour one. Hour two is next. Dale Scott and Jim Joyce will stop by here on the Bald Face Truth. Now, built by high caliber millwrights, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, site of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Four o'clock hour on a beautiful day, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. He is Stephen Vaughn. I am Judah Newby. Couldn't ask for a better day. Shout out Jim Freddy, Freddy uh, anchoring it for us uh, back in our 750 the Game Studios as well. Let's check the leaderboard because that's the most important thing on mm-hmm. a day today. Uh, raising money for a nonprofit is who's going to win this thing. Uh, 11 under is the uh, target number right now, and we got co-leaders. Uh, the team that's uh, golfing with one Lisa Johnson. She is the former golf coach at University of Nebraska. Or I guess Nebraska University. I think they are in you. 
Not UN. Pretty sure they're an NU school. Are they? Are they? I, don't know. I thought it was Northwestern University, University of Nebraska. That's a good question, actually. Let's. Uh, it sounds. I think it is University of Nebraska. Nebraska University doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. I think you're right. I think it is. It, it's a big, big N. A big red N. Big That's red. Their logo. They're just big red. They're just big red. Yeah. Uh, so the former women's golf coach at Big Red, not Cornell, to you know uh, piss off Andy Bernard, but. Uh, Lisa Johnson's got a team at 11-under. Casey Kloss's team, and he is golfing with our very own folk at Alpha Media. Uh, they're also at 11-under through 9. So 11 is the target number. Uh, at 10-under, right now a stroke back is uh, the team with uh, former big league umpire Dale Scott. Neil Lomax's team is sitting at 10-under. Former big leaguer Tom Gorman's team is at 10-under. There's Jimmy Joyce, another big league umpire at 10-under. And Adam Bjarnson, who we just uh, talked to a second ago, uh, he's got a team at 10 under. Apparently, Adam Bjarnson, Bjarnson from yeah. Coin. Nailing putts everywhere. He, he's the putting machine. That's what they say. That's what the, I think that people don't recognize this. The celebrities, yeah. they got game. They, they got some game. They got some of these guys, like, really. They're starting to play a little too much, I think. <laughs> starting to wonder how much time are you putting in the studio? What's your day job? What's, yeah, what's your day job? What? Are you even on TV? You're on TV, bro? <laughs> yeah, Adam could say that. Uh, actually, yeah, I am. I am on TV. So, uh, Adam Bjarnson's team, right at minus 10. We'll keep updating the leaderboard throughout, but let's keep going to our conversations that we've been having throughout the day. We've already checked in with Miss Oregon USA, Manju Bangalore. Uh, we've also talked with uh, uh, a number of other celebrities out here. Uh, Jim Joyce and Dale Scott is who we're going to hear from next. Two longtime former umpires in the big leagues. Uh, they were uh, making the rounds together and uh, they stopped by for a conversation the, for about uh, 20 minutes or so. We went away with these guys talking about all things baseball. Here's that conversation with Dale Scott and Jim Joyce on the Bald Face truth that's right welcome back to the ninth annual bald face truth foundation celebrity golf tournament from the reserve vineyards and golf club judah newby and stephen vaughn and we are joined now by two longtime umpires in the game they went by blue for the majority of their lives. <laughs> that was the nicest thing. Uh, yeah, that was on a good day. <laughs> and that is uh, Dale Scott and Jim Joyce. This is incredible that both of you have appeared on John Cazzano's radio show individually a number of times over the years. But I noticed uh, earlier today you were doing a, a TV hit with our friend Adam Bjarnson and Coin and you're walking uh, around the, the clubhouse together, and I say, let's sit you both down and, and talk about the game of baseball. There's just a few things to talk about. But first, Dale, how are you, and how is it to be out here playing some golf? Well, this is my first time. Um, I am not a golfer, um, <laughs> and I told John that several times. He said, just show up. It's all, it's all good. It's all for a good cause, obviously, which is, which is great. And uh, so I'm just going to run around. I, I look good. I have brand-new golf shoes on. That I, do you now? You I, do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, new balance. I, I'm looking the <laughs> It's like the guy. It's like the guy uh, snow skiing with all this stuff. All he does is sit around the fire and drink. You know? But he looks good. Everybody plays a role. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get Jim's comment on this. He's shaking his head no the whole time during Dale's. The guy uh, has golf shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. It's all. It's all part of the uh, you know uh, uh, illusion. <laughs> you uh, you look good. You play good. That that's kind of well. Uh, I look good, and I'll 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 tell uh, you know. Maybe I'll putt. Maybe I'll putt. There you there go. You go. There you go. Yeah, Jim, it's good to see you again. I know you've been out here a, a number of times. How are you? And, and uh, how fun is it to be back out here playing golf? Doing really well. Thanks for uh, the invite once again. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Kanzano thing, this is this is a great, this is a great tournament. It, it's for a great, great cause. 
and uh, he fills it up every year, mm-hmm. and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And so as long as he'll have me, I'll be here. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't help, but uh, you know, we got All Star Weekend in front of us coming up at T-Mobile Park. They were replaying on Root Sports earlier this week. They were replaying the 1979 All Star Game. That was also in Seattle, okay. which, first of all, I didn't know. I didn't remember that Seattle's had an all-star game before. 2001. 2001. Oh, well, <laughs> besides that, I should <laughs> The Cal Ripken one, yeah. 2001 was yeah. the Ichiro rookie year, the MVP, the all-star game, and, and the Mariners Scott. winning 116 games. And Dale Scott and Jim Joyce were there. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? That's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I worked first base. Uh, that was my... Uh, second all-star game the first one i had was in baltimore and it was a blast uh you know i was hoping like like jimmy when when, when we knew the all-star game was coming up in seattle in 2001 we were hoping to get it uh, a lot of times baseball will uh assign umpires that are in the area if they can that are from from that you know that area or whatever and so uh, we were uh, both pretty happy that we got we got that assignment and uh, we had a blast there was a great time it was uh i think the first year that uh didn't they put a camera on me at second base under my hat or something like that? Is that the one that Tommy Lasorda, the yeah. broken hat, yeah. almost yeah. took him yeah. out yeah. and he <laughs> fell on his backside? Yeah, and that checks out. Yeah, I have. Uh, I had that because I was looking directly at it, and I had the. I'm in the middle of the infield, and I had that uh, the camera on my hat. And but like Dale said, it was you know for that for that All Star game, it was great. You know, we all had our families there and everything like yeah. that. We had a blast. The All Star game is, is is a fun event. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, the World Series, you never know who's in it till it happens and it's a lot more things going on right but the all-star game they know years in advance that's baseball's big party for all their corporate sponsors for everybody and it's always a just a really fun event well, i was lucky to do th- i think you did three also i did three all-star yeah, games yeah it was, it was a blast where uh what other ballparks uh, baltimore is my first one then seattle and then uh, i worked the plate in phoenix in 2011 nice so when i was a kid growing up uh, down here in, in McMinnville, uh, down south a little bit. Like I would record the All Star Game and the Fox broadcast on like a little VHS, and because I loved the player introductions, like right. it really meant something to me. And especially when you had the American League National League uh, split, that was more you know pronounced than it is now with the blending yeah. of everything rules wise and interleague and all that. But it, it's so it's the All Star Game has changed a little bit over the years for sure. And do you do you kind of feel the same thing as you sit and watch an all-star game now compared to the ones that you may have umpired in years past well one of the things i like i like that baseball does is they every team's represented uh mm-hmm. you may have a team that's not doing so well but at least somebody off that team yeah. is going to be in the all-star game because i think i think that's i think that's right i think right. th- it gives everybody someone to, uh, to root for um you know but i don't i forget when it was but when uh, when they changed it to where the winner of the all-star game would be the league that had the home field advantage in the in the world series that changed uh, the thought process of the All Star Game a little bit, um, and uh, you know I don't know if that was good or bad, but uh, it, it, well, I'll, I'll see. I'll tell you right now, it was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. like it. It's. I'm glad it's back to the way it should be. Right. It, it's a fun event. It's not supposed to be a competition to see who goes to the World Series and has home home field advantage. It's yeah. just not. It's, a, it's an exhibition. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like Dale said. It, it's supposed to be a good time and it's supposed to be celebrating your sport and I, 
I know one thing. When I when I had the plate in, in Phoenix, I needed a secretary with all the changes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, exactly. We, I mean, they're using everybody. It's like uh, Ron Washington was the American, and, and he's telling me, and I'm going, I go, Ron, you know, one of his pitchers in the bullpen couldn't pitch, and he goes, that screws my whole thing up. Now, now he's got, you know, he's got it all planned out. And I said, I, I need I need help here. Somebody write this down for me. There's a bunch of stuff, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun for the families. The home run derby uh, yeah. uh, is a huge event. Yeah. Uh, you know, the night before. So yeah, it's a good time. How much baseball do you guys watch on a regular, semi-regular basis these days? You keep up with the the young stars, the Julios of the world. The uh, of course, what Shohei's doing has got to be your first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Well, I, I'll tell you. I don't usually watch much baseball. I do now only because uh, I'm getting paid for it. Because I'm one of the rules analysts for the for the Apple uh, TV streaming games. That's or the, right. Or the showcase game. One of three guys. We split it up. Um, but I'll be honest with you. It, I, I'll watch in the postseason. And when I watch in the postseason, the reason I watch is I'm praying nothing happens controversial. I'm praying <laughs> that the umpires get through this without any problems. Because uh, uh, you still live and breathe that a little bit when you're when, when you're. You know, it's in your blood and, uh, and that kind of stuff. But during the season, I won't just, uh, I rarely will just turn on a game. Well, so you talk about, you know, hoping in the postseason nothing crazy happens. All the rule changes that have happened this year, you know, no shifting, uh, the pitch clock. What do, you, what do you guys feel about those type of rules? Is it helpful for the game or is it something that's going to sustain long term or is it just a short term solution right now for MLB? Well, I think the best thing to happen is the pitch clock. Uh, I don't have a problem with the pitch clock at all. As a matter of fact, the pitch clock has actually always been around. It's just never been enforced. And hmm. now it is forefront, and they put it all over the ballpark and everything like that. And it's actually being, for- it being enforced this year. And when Dale and I first started, the game times were about 245. Uh, by the time that we were 20-year veterans, it was 345. Yeah. And that's, that's a big increase. And... Um, I'm a fan of, I'm not going to say quick baseball because that's not, it. I'm, I'm a fan of good, good baseball that's quick. And I think we're seeing that right now. And you know what's funny about that is that reminds me about something I believe about golf, which is if you want to play a, a quick round of golf, play good golf. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm not going to do that today. So That's why I'm not Don't playing. get behind me. Good thing, exactly. good thing is best ball. Best ball. Yeah, exactly. You but, know, I think I think one of the biggest changes, the clock got all the uh, publicity, it seems, but it's the uh, disengage with the pitcher. I mean, they can only yeah. uh, throw over twice. Got third yeah. time, they got to get somebody. They can't just step up. You know, they use that as a tool, either a, just a lob throw just to buy time or to step off several times to, you know, you know buy time. You can't do that anymore. And and same with the hitter, but it, but I think it's going to affect the. Pit. I think that is one of the biggest changes uh, that has affected the game because it really changes the way a lot of pitchers have to uh, you, approach it. Do you think it's really going to come into play in the postseason when you know everything always slows down anyways? I mean, those postseason games go so long, but now it's you know with the pitch clock, everything's going to be sped up. Is, you know, is it going to really affect the pitchers that way? Well, I, I I think what it might affect them is in the middle of summer when it's really hot and they can't buy time to. to Catch their mm. breath or something like that, but you know I've been asked that before about the postseason. But they've played 162 games of with the clock, not even counting spring training. They know, you know, they, they, if you look in the box scores now, you rarely see clock violate. They're here and there, but it's not like every game has two or right. three or four of them. I mean, they they've adapted. They may not like it, but they've adapted both the hitters and the pitchers. And I, and it's like Jimmy said, you know, we we talk about game times, but really what it's done, 
that's going to be an effect of it. But what it's done is the pace of the game is just so much better. I mean, it's, things are happening, and it, there's not all this dead time. Now, uh, Concessions doesn't like that because, they, because the beer sales. Uh, I know the announcers have said, I used to have long stories. i got to have really quick stories when I'm announcing a game because there's, there's no time between uh, uh, right. you know, the next pitch. But So it's changed the game, but I think it's changed it for the better. I think they're going to tweak things as we go right. along, too. They're not going to, you know, uh, if something's not working, they will, you know, yeah. kind of tweak it to a certain degree and everything like that. But it's all about repetitiveness. You know, if you're doing it over and over and over and over again, you finally learn it. And, you know, I can we can equate to that because they gave us the computer strike zone and everything like that and started, uh, you know, charting all our pitches and charting all our, all our games. And the strike zone became pretty consistent. As a matter of fact, the strike zone right now is probably more consistent than it's ever been in the history of baseball. Yeah. And it's, now it's going to the players of you have to do this and do this and do this. Keep doing it over and over again and you will learn it. They started in the minor leagues is where they should have started, where, the place to start it. And by the time those players get to the big leagues they're ready to go yeah so that's, that's it too the, the veteran guys now are the are you guys adjusting a lot of these guys yeah. have had have played <clears throat> under these rules uh if they've right. been in the minor you know triple a double a whatever in the last couple of years so there and and in, in a season or two everybody i mean it's just going to be an afterthought because it, you know everyone's played it and we're, right. we're all creatures of habit i mean no matter exactly. what you're doing i mean it's right. it's got to be tough to adjust after so many years of doing it one way if you're a pitcher yeah. and then all of a sudden you're thrown in this way you guys right. you know <laughs> Well, we were, we were 10 and 12 and 13-year veterans when, when they started changes in baseball with, you know, keeping time on the clock, introducing ZE and everything. We fought it. The middle guys are the guys that, that – and the veterans were the ones that fought it all the time. Mm. And if you didn't conform – you know, you better. There was. You yeah, better check they, your paycheck is coming on that first of the month every every month. So yeah, but you, suddenly you conform. Uh, I, I heard uh, David Cohn was on Dan Patrick this morning, and he mentioned something. And it's kind of something you alluded to, Jim. With he said back in you know late nineties or whatever. The uh, strike zone was much more east to west yep. than it is oh, yeah. now. It's more north to south. Oh yeah. I was like, that's it. Is that part of like the 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 graphics coming into play, et cetera, or the the more technology coming into play with the strike zone influencing the umpires, or like how, how does that come to be? Well, uh, it, it, when Sandy Alderson uh, went to the commissioner's office in uh, ninety nine two thousand, and we were <laughs> both leagues, National American League, were really wide. Called almost nothing uh, up in hmm. the zone, and and it, I look at games now, classic games that I'm working, or uh, you know, in the 90s, I mean, I'm calling strikes that are, it's unbelievable, and a lot of times they're not even flinching because that's yeah. what that's what that's what it was, right? But it got hmm. it very uh, distorted, um, and Sandy's <laughs> deal plus the fact that we were we were uh, both leagues were integrated now, we're, we're working everybody, not just American National League, so they wanted a much uh, a cons- much more consistent strike zone, and and that's it took a while there's a lot of adjusting to, to do in that 2002-2003 uh, season for everybody pitchers hitters umpires everybody was adjusting uh, but once we got figured it out and what they wanted and what was going on uh, like Jimmy said it, really the strike zone is, is is the most consistent you'll see now I think forever you don't have oh this is Jimmy he's a highball uh, right. umpire here's Dale he, he likes to call pitches outside or whatever uh, it's much more conf- you know conformed to to what the strike zone is supposed to be just real quick side note the on-screen graphic is horrible it's not it. it is it's horrible, horrible. it is it right. is it is not a hundred percent accurate uh, they there's no way in real time they're adjusting that for high low for each hitter 
hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, the high lows uh, lines can change not only each hitter, each pitch. If a guy squares to bunt, his high low is going to be different than if he's swinging away. They can't they can't do that in real time. Um, and it's and, and what's the problem is is people watch this. They'll see a pitch that's just off the line uh, called a strike, and they'll say that's way outside. I mean, that's obvious. You know, it's like really, really. <laughs> Especially like where did it cross? You yeah. Know? Is it? Um, and so there's just a lot. And, and unfortunately, it's a facsimile of the strike zone. Yeah. It's not the. 100% accurate strike zone, but people, you know, what are you going to tell people? They're yeah. lying eyes, right? They saw what it is. That's what it is. So that has been one of the toughest <laughs> things for, for our profession because it, 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 it just isn't fair, quite right. frankly. We had the benefit of sitting in replay when they started using us in the replay systems, you know, in New York. And it's really kind of funny because really not too many people know this, but there'd be two screens that you look at or a split screen. You had a big TV and it'd be a split screen of the home feed and the away feed. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd show the uh, the the K zone for both for both teams. Different. It's amazing on who's pitching and where that ball ends up on the chart. It's wow. really amazing. One says one thing, the other says same another. pitch, exact same, same pitch. pitch. And Tailoring it's amazing to, the to me where they're actually saying that this stuff works. It works the way you want it to. Work, yeah, it's up to the it it's up to right. whoever's broadcasting. They're wow. putting that thing up there. It's not uh, some standardized uh, graphic. It's the producers in the truck and whoever putting it together right. and all that. Um, I, you never want to eject somebody from a game. Is, is my thought. But do you have a favorite ejection, or do you, or uh, of anybody that you've ejected over the years? Is there one that stood out that's like? Uh, I'll remember that one. My first one was Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Ken Griffey Jr., that smile, the hip backwards hat, that that, that guy. The fan favorite, huh? Uh, <laughs> my favorite player. My all-time favorite yeah. player. And he was just a kid, 19. I, it was my first year, his first year. He took three pitches right down the middle he didn't like. <laughs> right down the middle. And he said the magic two words. and <laughs> You know, Tom it, Kelly. That's fascinating. Uh, Tom Kelly won the World Series, what, twice with the Twins? I think he had a 13-year career. He was ejected yeah. five times. We both got him. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> we're we're uh, 40% of that. Uh, <laughs> fine. Um, That's something you can hang your hat on, that one. <laughs> I mean, he's the most really, docile guy in the well, sport. He, he was fair. Well, you know what, Tom Kelly? He was, I, I wrote a whole chapter about him in my book because he, yeah. he was fair and funny. He could be oh, very absolutely. funny. Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was the last guy to throw out Billy Martin. That always comes up yes, uh, right. as, as uh, uh, probably a highlight <laughs> ejection or whatever. I remember one ejection, though, in, 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 in Texas. It was acetogas. And for Toronto, mm. Cito and I just couldn't get on the same page. If I said it was sunny, he would say it's raining. It doesn't matter what I said; it would be different for him. Uh, he went out to the mound to talk to the pitcher. Of course, he wasn't talking to anybody, waiting for me. So I went up there, uh, starts asking ask him about the pitches. I eject him, and he, and he goes, "He goes, I'm so sick of this." He goes, "Meet me after the game outside, and we'll finish this once and for all." <laughs> and I said, "Really?" I said, "Well, Dr. Brown, who is the American League president and does uh, the ejection reports, he does the fines." I said, "Well, Dr." Dr. Brown would be thrilled that you're threatening his umpires. And he goes, blank, Dr. Brown. I go, he'll love that, too. <laughs> Biggest fine uh, Dr. Brown gave out to uh, in my ejections. But uh, ejections are part of the game. You don't yeah. look for them, but, uh, but we don't have technical fouls and stuff. Sometimes they just have to have it. Sometimes they're trying to get ejected. You know, so it, it's... Uh, I actually missed that part of it when uh, replay came in, and obviously I'm one of the po- 
poster boys for replay. But, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I actually kind of missed that part of the game. Uh, Chris, you know, we came from the old school, brought up in, uh, you know, minor leagues and stuff like that. It was a war every night. Hmm. And then we get to the big leagues, and you had to fight for your respect. You had to really, you had to really prove yourself in the big leagues in your first four or five years. And then, you know, after that, you know, Lou Pinella would come out. I came out of my boots one time, ejected him, and <laughs> and he turned and said something to me, and I told him, I said, I'm not the one screwing up out here. Yeah. And he looked at me, he goes, you know what, Jimmy, you're right. And he turned around and walked off the field, about fell over. It's and one of those things, you got to earn their respect, absolutely. right? I mean, you can't, yeah. you can't just lay down for these guys. No, and young, as a young umpire getting into the big leagues, you just it's like going through high school. You start your freshman year, you work your way up, you're a senior, the big man on campus. Yeah. Well, same thing. You work in the minor leagues, and then all of a sudden you go to the big leagues, now you're back at the bottom bottom tier. You're a freshman again, and you had to work your hind end off to get their respect, and and once you got their respect, they let you work. They let you work. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't have to come out on certain things. Right. But, but they, they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not just coming out to come out because it's you. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're coming out because they really believe they have a reason or whatever. <laughs> uh, but it, it takes a while to do that, like Jimmy said. And, and my first ejection of a manager was Sparky Anderson uh, up in Toronto. and he just, You ran Grandpa? Yeah, I did. I did. And, uh, and, 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 and Grandpa sprayed tobacco yeah, juice all over right. me. That's um, Which I thought was a little rude. And, and uh, you know, and I, I wrote it all up and everything. And, and, and I get a call a few days later from Marty Springstead, the head of the umpires, and he said, uh, Scotty, I just wanted to let you know uh, Dr. Brown's not going to uh, uh, fine or suspend him for, for the uh, tobacco juice. I said, why is that? And they said, well, the Tigers, because they get a copy of the report, the Tigers said he uh, quit chewing. I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, well, then one of two things, Marty. Either he's, he was chewing that inning, or he needs to see a doctor because his saliva is brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Last thing uh, for you both, and thank you for your time. Uh, what do you make of Portland as a baseball market? Obviously, with the Portland Diamond Project a few years ago, it's been waxing and waning. There are chances to maybe get in on expansion, etc. And even our own John Canzano had a report this morning saying that uh, that the, they've uh, secured some ballpark plans at two different locations, one being Lloyd Center Mall, which would be attractive for a variety of reasons, would also be a lot of work to get that up and running, the other being at Redtail uh, Golf Course out there in the Beaverton area, which, uh, yeah. Right, right next to Jimmy. That's Jimmy's backyard. Is that right? Yeah. I don't see the Redtail happening. Yeah, it's hard for me to get there, too. One of my uh, favorite restaurants is over there as yeah. well, Stockpile. Shout <laughs> yeah, out. Stockpile, right. Right there, yeah. Murray and Stockton. Uh, I'm uh, I'm five minutes from there. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Beaverton would love it <laughs> and hate it at the same time. Exactly. Because to put a billion dollar stadium in Beaverton, um, not saying it wouldn't deserve it or whatever, but I just don't see the infrastructure happening there. I mean, it's you have two seventeen, you know, twenty six two seventeen, and try to handle that traffic yeah, out of the, yeah. in and out of there. Yeah, you know, Denny Road. That's good. Yeah, that's <laughs> exit three. But maybe you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a ten year project. I don't yeah. know, but the infrastructure. You think yellow uh, orange barrels are a lot right now? It's, it's pretty rough that. right now. Yeah, maybe that would be yeah, their nickname. But I, I, know, can, I can see the orange barrels, the Beaverton barrels. You know, the thing is, uh, there is a glimmer of hope now because it looks like Oakland's going to Vegas. Right, uh, Tampa. You know, they're they're. 
they've got to get their stadium Beautiful situation. ballpark there. I was just Tropicana. there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's very well lit, uh, so you can see the rings. <laughs> nice catwalk. I, I, I call it arena baseball because it's just like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but, but finally, if they once they get those, you know, it looks like Oakland's good, and once they get uh, Tampa, I mean, now they're going to expand it. And, and I, I really hope Portland gets a team. I really hope that What uh, is the? I, I haven't mm-hmm. been on the news feeds today. What is the uh, projected time frame for this? I have a very good friend that's involved in it, and mm-hmm. I haven't talked to him for a while. So yeah, it's 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 probably within the next two or three years that expansion would happen. I think uh, really? per per Manfred, which is a little bit more on the sooner side than than you might expect. But you got also a uh, a Nashville group with Dombrowski is is part of that. Dave Dombrowski, Justin Timberlake, part of a Nashville group. So I know I know. Uh, Dave for yeah since yeah. I got in the game yeah well yep. you know they're doing two teams they're going to do two teams probably one in and Eastern I, time yeah, zone. I, well I I think more importantly probably one in Western time I, well, I know, I guess they, Vegas, I know they yeah. want they want uh, well Vegas is existing though I mean, yeah. I'm talking about when right expand. right and and I know they want this time zone uh, you know that Salt Lake group just sprung up uh, we got to fight them off yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> calm down and uh, calm down. I don't know we're here first I don't know if Vancouver <laughs> does is Vancouver got a uh, are they tr- I heard some rumblings that yeah. they might try anyway I I, I, I hope it happens mentioned I, I know that mm. yeah um, quebec is quebec, montreal quebec's been course, yeah. also being talked about again the return of the expos would be would be I interesting two teams on the west coast would be great mm-hmm. really yeah, oh, just for rivalry and oh i think there'll be definitely one on i just hope we're, we're that one i would agree yeah yeah, yeah. our uh, our studio engineer jim ferretti just texted me this uh this nice, uh, nice photo. <laughs> that might have been the day. Is that Boston? Yep, yeah. that is the day. <laughs> Joycey and Sweet Lou <laughs> doing doing battle in Fenway. Yeah, that's uh, it was Boston. <laughs> I got, I've seen Lou that close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a picture from behind. I'm about this far off the ground. <laughs> one time, one time in the Kingdom, he was he, he didn't like my strikes when he came. I ejected him, come out, and he's 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 kicking dirt all over the mound. Just I mean, his veins are out, and he's holding his hat, and he's kicking, he's screaming and screaming. And Dave Phillips and I are just standing there watching. I'm just watching him. Finally, he's 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 tiring out, and he stopped. And, and, and he stopped. And I go, Lou, you missed a spot. And he goes, you son of a. <laughs> <laughs> you missed a spot. Whenever we whenever we had rain delays with Lou, you would. I was a smoker at the time, and he was a, a smoker too. And he would. Uh, he said, Tommy. Tommy, give me a cigarette. Give me a cigarette. I said, it's Jimmy. He goes, okay, Tommy, give me a cigarette. Oh. <laughs> Jimmy says, well, tell, tell Tommy to give me a cigarette. <laughs> Dale Scott and Jim Joyce, it's really great to see you both. Thanks for uh, thanks for you know being uh, being awesome on the show and being out here playing a little golf, all for a good cause for the BFT Foundation. And I could talk baseball with you for the whole show, Steve and I could. So thanks for your time. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. It was a great, our pleasure. Thank you. Steven, there is uh, something about baseball stories that are just hilarious and timeless. And those two especially have to have some great stories about star players, star men. I mean, throwing out Ken Griffey Jr. as as his first ejection. I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> like, the, like his favorite player. Yeah, the kid. The kid. You're going to throw oh. him out and, and just make all the fans mad at you like that? I mean, come on. That's legendary that's, status. That's great. It's just great stuff. Dale Scott, Jim Joyce, that was a lot of fun. So thanks for, uh, for uh, taking the time and listening.
mind uh, to that. Let's bounce to break and come back. Uh, Scott Ruick, the head women's basketball coach at Oregon State, he stopped by and he was uh, right. He's playing with Jim Etzel, the CEO of Sport Oregon. So right after our uh, Etzel conversation was wrapping up, uh, Ruick sat down with us for a few minutes. We'll air that conversation next right here. It's the Bald Face Truth live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, side of the ninth annual BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. All right, Stephen Vaughn, let's check that leaderboard. How are uh, how are our leaders doing out on the course here at the Reserve? Tell you what, it's it's going back and forth. New teams coming in there. I thought there would be one leader throughout the day. No, this is changing back and forth throughout the day. There's been an exciting leaderboard. Right now, we got. Uh, Big lead, Jim Joyce. Whoa. His group up by two strokes. I thought about picking them, but then I thought I he said he wasn't a great golfer, so. Must be the rest of the people. Must be the uh, the rest of the crew. Who's he playing with today? I'll look that they're up. up uh, they're up, they're at 15 under Ooh, par right now. Then, high caliber. High caliber, and Jim Joyce, 15 under par. Then Lisa Johnson, who's been right at the top of the group, her group, uh, they're at 13 under par. So Joyce and the high caliber crew, they got a two-stroke lead here through 12 holes. We're rounding out the uh, the 18, getting pretty close. Love that. Neil Lomax's team is sitting a couple strokes off the pace at 11 under. Just ran into Scott Ruick and his son Cole Ruick, who is a, a golfer at Boise State. Watch they're out all, for them. They're, 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 yeah. they're, they're minus 11 right now. They're hitting their stride. I think they're going to have a nice little uh, back nine here. Come back. They're playing with Sport Oregon and Jim Etzel, the CEO there. So uh, we aired that conversation with Jim Etzel just uh, moments ago in hour one. Let's get to uh, part two of that uh, interview session, and that's when Beavers women's basketball coach Scott Ruick uh, slid by. I just looked at him and said, hey, pop on a headset, coach. Let's talk to you for a little bit. So that's how the start of the that's interview. That's what happens at the BFT golf tournament. That's right. just talking to one guy, and another celebrity walks right by you. It's and it's great, and uh, I love coach. We've been talking this week about best coaches in the state of Oregon, and I think Beaver women's basketball, they're not you know hitting the peak that they that they were four or five years ago, and I think NIL and COVID plays a role in that, but I from someone that's really consistent with his message and his tactics and I think really gets the most out of his roster, Scott Ruick is among the best coaches in the country and uh, certainly in the conference, and we're lucky to have well, him I think in the state. You think you're right. Like, when they made the Final Four, you could have argued at that point, Scott Ruick may be the best coach in, in Oregon. Like, yeah. that, that, you know, it's not that he's fallen off or anything. He just hasn't had the team success and, uh, you know, should, should come back at some point, right? Yeah, so, so soon. It's great to see Coach, and uh, let's go ahead and play that conversation, starting with uh, him just sitting down and picking up the headset and spend a few minutes with Coach Scott Ruick. Yeah, I was just looking at the at the list of golfers, and I was like, oh, who's playing with Jim Metzl today? And it's actually Jim Metzl is playing with Scott Ruick. That's right. Sport Oregon drafted hey, we're both uh, Scott playing Ruick. with Cole Ruick. That's right, yeah. Cole Ruick. <laughs> yeah. Let's start there. This is the head coach of the Beavers women's basketball, Scott Ruick, joining us uh, on the show. And your son, Cole, is going to be an incoming golfer or a current golfer at Boise State? He's just finished his freshman year, so going okay. into his second year over there. How'd it go for Went him? Great. He loved it. Um, he got to play in every tournament, you know, and that's a that's a big part of it is paying your dues. And in golf, if you don't make the travel team, you stay home. It's right. it's it's harsh actually. And so really happy that he got to compete uh, against a really a great schedule. Played against Pac-12 opponents. I got to watch him at Bandon, and he was partner or paired with Oregon State, Oregon, and Utah that day. Wow, um, that's awesome. Yeah, and so he had a great freshman year. <laughs> really happy for him. How uh, How's the offseason been for you so far, Coach? 
It's been re- really good. Uh, we're actually in the middle of our team camp right now, so there's 500 uh, students on campus. They've been there since Tuesday this week. Things are, you know, buzzing right now, and it was, you know, uh, gl- gr- glad to be here. But you know, we've been there grinding all week, and staff is doing a great job. And um, but the off season's been fantastic. You know, I'm excited about the team uh, coming back yeah. and the team and the players coming in. So we've got six new ones coming, three freshmen, three transfers to to join seven returners that are very talented. Well, it's the the obligatory topic. And, and you gotta John, ask about transfer portal. Yeah, you got, and, you got nil and transfer portal. It's funny, John. There's uh, no off season now, is it? No, no yeah. off season. Yeah. No. John Cazzano just had uh, a coffee with Kelly Graves like yesterday, and they were talking about the same thing. How's it? How is it in your world, and how it intersects with Beaver culture? We talk about it with with football all the time, but we should also. You know, cast a spotlight on how it intersects with programs like women's basketball. Well, if you look back over my career, I've had very few transfers, and I work yeah. really hard, and our staff does on the front end to make sure we don't, because there's so much power to a four-year experience that I've watched and have been a part of at the D3 level for 14 years and now 13 years at Oregon State. And, you know, COVID was hard. Uh, COVID led to, you know, players going closer to home. I think that's that was part of it. But we had some transfers for the first time, and it really made me look in the mirror and say, okay, do we are we doing what we should be doing? Are we taking care of business? Some things are beyond our control, of course, but what can we do better? And, and we've really focused on communication at a higher level. Um, this year, we had eight potential players that could have come back, eight returners. Seven of them did. Uh, all five of our freshmen stayed, you know, and things that you used to be able to take for granted, you don't any longer. And so you just making sure we're always on the same page, taking care of business. And then if something were to happen unexpected, that we accept it as reality and say, okay, let's go and use the portal the other way, hmm. you know, and find the next person that wants to come be a part of, of our basketball do you, program. Do you think it's sustainable? You see some teams, even like LSU, who wins it all, but they had a bunch of transfers coming in. Is that sustainable? It's like all transfers. Yeah. Is it sustainable <laughs> to go tra- year after year, transfer after transfer? Or is it going to be, is it going to really show how important it is culture-wise to recruit a freshman, have her till a senior year? Like, hmm. is it sustainable to can you just go out and use the transfer to, you know, revamp your team every year? Well, it's a great question. I, I think if you look at the transfer por- portal, how many players actually can take you to the next level in their first year of being a part of your program. you got to build because that chemistry, yeah. That's it. And the first year, no matter what year you are, I mean, we had Ben Duyaney, you know, local yeah, hero yeah. from St. Mary's High School, um, you know, transferred to us from Arizona. She had one year to play, wanted to be closer to home. I mean, she's in her first year of learning the language that we speak in our right. program. And so there were growing pains into January, you know, with Ben as as great as she did. And so I, I don't know if you can stay at the very top unless you get the very top yeah. players. You know, there's a few. The Haley Van the List, yeah, the yeah. ones that everybody's talking about. You know, but I, I will always lean towards desiring and doing everything I can to foster a four-year experience because I just, I've just seen the power of that. You know, the freshman year, you're so enchanted. Uh, you're overwhelmed, but you're excited. Sophomore year, you know, you think you kind of know it all. You still don't. And sophomore year is usually a little bit of a struggle. It's usually the toughest. And then junior year, everything starts to come together for you uh, because you've been humbled a little bit. Now you're ready to learn. You're ready to take on more leadership, and senior year is life-changing. It's yeah. literally transformational hmm. uh, when you embrace leadership and taking everybody under your wing, putting them on your back, and leading a team through a Pac-12 schedule. That's that's unbelievable. And so the people that have embraced that, that that year carries them into life and lets them know I can do anything. If you're bouncing around, how do you ever get that? Well, especially you know when the Pac-12 is so tough. I mean, you talk about that schedule. If you're coming out of a different conference, you don't, you don't know what you're in for. I mean, night in, night out, it's a tough match. 
every night. Yeah, there's and, some truth there, too. The man sitting next to you, Jim Etzel, and we were talking to Scott Ruick, women's basketball coach at Oregon State. We were just mentioning with Jim a minute ago about how this state is just such a wonderful home of, of women's basketball. And we're talking about the North Star of the 2030 Women's Final Four coming to Portland and the efforts that Jim and Sport Oregon see did. him on top of that Werner yeah. ladder Let's cutting go. down the nets. Nevermore have I loved Werner ladders. <laughs> <laughs> local teams uh, jump on there. But the overall vibes of that and the excitement level around you know, women's basketball maybe potentially getting WNBA to mm-hmm. Portland as well. Do you feel it? And and uh, and how excited is does that make you and the fan base at Oregon State, which is just an exceptional fan base? Well, I've felt it forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a, a kid in Hillsboro, just down the street right here, growing up, and Hillsboro girls basketball in Hillsboro was a big deal even when I was a kid. And my little sister won a state championship, and the Child Center at University of Portland was sold out. And I've never jumped as high as I as I did when they they won the state title on a buzzer beater. And so, you know, Oregon City back in the day and Brad Smith and what he did and Mark Neffendorf and what he did and all the others in this state made it cool. And so for me, I've just always valued it. I've always understood it. And I've always ah, done everything I could to to celebrate it and make it better. And then having an opportunity at George Fox that they gave me, you know, I mean, we we were always top 10 in the nation in attendance uh, in Newburgh. I mean, we drew almost a thousand, you know, at a small college level. And then to go to Oregon State, my alma mater, and to be able to say in year seven of our rebuild, we sold that place out and set an attendance record was, cool. was yes. So this this place not only supports women's basketball, women's sports, it celebrates and it has respect for the female athlete. And I, it's just awesome that we, we got a Final Four yeah. here. And, and uh, I know, I mean, everybody's so excited. Remember when we were talking in uh, San Francisco on Pac-12 Media Day? Mm-hmm, I and we were just, uh, we're, I was about a week or two away from going to Dallas with the team to, to pitch. And down there, kind of working the politics and then getting the support of the Pac-12 coaches behind our bid and uh, do all the little things to try to make it happen. So it was it was very gratifying, especially with the success that Scott's had and and you know and Kelly and 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 you know you know what, what's gone on Portland State and Portland getting in the tournament recently. So it's yeah. been cool. I mean, we got a lot of momentum. It's fun. There, not too many states is, can say that every one of their Division One institutions made the tournament in the last three years. Yeah, that's cool. Those behind-the-scenes conversations, those are what I want to know more about. And, uh, talk we're about we're just talking radio. about how good this wine was versus that wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the, all the, uh, the Napa Valley stuff yeah. uh, behind the scenes. Uh, Scott Ruick, it's really great to see you. Uh, congrats on all the success, and uh, best of luck with everything moving forward. But most importantly, thanks for being out here, taking some time and golfing all for a good cause. And best of luck for everybody playing with Cole today. Thank you so much. Yes, everybody that <laughs> Do will we get to play with him? Yeah, he's playing. He's playing in my place. I, I'm Sweet. just hanging out, I think. We got a live leaderboard, so just, pl- just right. play, you'll play off his right. ball. Best ball, yeah. you just play off the cold yeah. ball. Oh, man, I'm just going to yeah. – I'm bipsick. Ball in pocket sitting in the car the rest of the day. And Jim Metzel as well, CEO of Sport Oregon. Thank you both. That was phenomenal. Thank Our you. pleasure. Great See to you. be here. Thanks. Great catching up with Scott Ruick and uh, Jim Etzel both, Stephen, and you know it's it's good to catch up with with Coach Ruick. A lot uh, a lot of good vibes, shall we say, around women's basketball in our state right now. Can we just get at least one of Oregon, Oregon State in the Final Four in 2030? I mean, I mean, how sick would that be? That'd be pretty Portland wild. Portland Final Four, get the Ducks or the Bees. I mean, I'm, I'm not even asking for both. 
I just want one of them. Just one of them. But no, it. I don't know if we'll be able to have both if it's uh, regionalized like that. You know, they'll <laughs> obviously true. both be good, but they'll probably see each other in the Elite Eight. But to that point, maybe we can uh, work the committee a little yeah, bit. Yeah, can't we work the committee that way? But no, Scott <laughs> Ruick, man. Coach Ruick, he was, he was great. Uh, you know, like you said, great vibes around that program, how they're keeping everybody. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of the uh, the football team, right? We've talked about the football team retaining coaches, retaining players. Oregon State women's uh, basketball did the same thing. You know, eight people were up to transfer if they wanted to, only one left. I mean, I think that's in this day and age, to be able to hang on to those players and have them stay in Corvallis, I think is huge for the growth of that program. It really is. I think Damian Lillard has uh, sent a tweet out, Stephen. He did. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, talk about what it means and take your calls. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, we'll talk about uh, what Dame put out there and uh, and see uh, see what it means. Another cryptic tweet. you got to love the cryptic tweets. We were due for one. Do you? I've had them on Twitter alerts for too long to not have a cryptic tweet in the last, uh, last 10 days. So we'll unpack that, and uh, we'll talk a bit, little bit more to our celebrity guests along the way right here. BFT live from the reserve on a beautiful Thursday afternoon on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Well, Damian Lillard, uh, it's been a little bit since he put out a Twitter post. Is that what you call them? Twitter posts? A tweet? Oh, a tweet. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like the word tweet. To me, I can't take tweets seriously. I know Twitter's been around for 15 years. I still can't take the word tweet seriously. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess you just say post. A yeah. post on Twitter, yeah. It's a post on Twitter. Uh, with Stephen Vaughn, I'm Chew Danubi. We're live from the Reserve, ninth Annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Stephen, you notified me of this during the break. Uh, what did one Dame Dalla post on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, he posted this early in the day, uh, about an hour ago. But, you know, we've been busy talking to celebrities and things of that nature. But uh, Dame tweets out, survived too many storms to be bothered by raindrops, period. And that's it. That, that's the tweet right there. Survived too many storms to be bothered by raindrops. Judah, what does he mean by that? He can't be, he can't be talking about the Portland. Portland is a beautiful place right now. He can't be talking about There's no raindrops or storms here. No raindrops to speak of right now. Too many, survived too many storms to be bothered by raindrops. Yeah. What is Damian Lillard referencing? I mean, Your here, calls at 503-417-7575. Here's my initial takeaway <laughs> is, uh, you know, if it survived by too many storms. The Blazers organization has been very stormy, very bad. Now that there's just raindrops here, I guess, I don't know. There's not as many problems as he says there are. I don't know. Just Or he I, says, hey, all these trade rumors, they don't bother me. Like, to me, I'm already mentally in Miami, so it's not going to bother me. There's you, no raindrops in Miami. You just flip, you just flip the number. So NBA has gone zero days without a cryptid tweet. Like, that's just what it is now. And, and Dame does it. was it. Dame's turn. It was Dame's turn to do it. Nurk kind of did the same thing the other what day. What did he do? He put out an emoji with, like, a little, you know. Hourglass? Uh, the gla- like, the glasses, the monocle. Oh, he that's did that what two he hours did? ago. Then before that, yeah, he put out a time, uh, the the hourglass as well. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I feel like I'm really too old at this point to understand what all this means. And we've already resigned ourselves to just like, like, what's the resolution already? Yeah. You know. And we work in sports radio. We we deal with big sports stories for content for a living. And yet the Dame will he or won't he? Man, it's like I'm almost like Mad Dog Russo. Like, just wake me up when it's over. I know it's our job. It's our job to figure out what it means. But sometimes I have a hard time understanding when all I see are words that don't make sense and don't have anything to do with basketball. Survive too many storms to be bothered by raindrops. Maybe I just, he's just workshopping his next uh, rap lyric I mean, for Dame Dalla. It's not a bad, not a bad bar. That's actually pretty good. 
It's actually pretty good. By the way, later in the show, we'll have a, a conversation with uh, a fellow rapper, mm. uh, Du Bois, Living the Dream, LTD, the uh, the brother of one of our former hosts here at 750 The Game, Devon Pouncey. And they joined for a uh, for a, a, a two headed interview, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, they were they were great. Uh, so listen to them, and then of course, you know, my first reaction would be, just what are the odds change? What's the odds change because of that tweet, right? And uh, you know, last I looked, the Blazers were uh, minus three hundred to have Dame back next season. I don't think anything changes. You know, I've I've been on the on board of saying I think Dame is going to start the season in Portland. I, I just didn't see a real a real trade out there that the Blazers would accept. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if Dame wants to go to Miami and Portland wants to grant him his wish of where he wants to go, Miami doesn't have anything to offer Portland. And you're you're it, not into Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, I'm and a into, bunch of late first-round picks? I'm not into the Caleb Martin package to Gross. bring Caleb Martin back. Like, it, just, Disgusting. It, it just doesn't make sense. It's insulting is what it is. It really is. And so, and, and, and so for for Dame to want to go to Miami, I understand like that would be that would be ideal for him. Uh, you know the Heat are pretty close. By the way, I will say someone posted on Twitter a uh, a photo of a Lillard Miami Heat jersey in white. It looked awesome. It looked good. <laughs> it looked freaking good. I think there's other. I didn't want to like it, but I was like, that's a very nice looking jersey right there. But I think you know you, you talk about Joe Cronin and like can he pull off a big move. I, I think if he wants to try to do something, he wants to put his stamp on the franchise, he wants to start his legacy, it's going to start with the trade of Damian Lillard, but it's going to be a good trade. It's not going to be just giving Dame off for cents on the dollar. I think there's going to be other teams, even this offseason, that are going to figure it out and say, you know what, maybe we need to get into Dame. They have more assets than the Miami Heat. I think Miami, you got to consider them out right now, but uh, you know, Dame wants to go there, so they're always going to have – that thought of yeah, I want to go to Miami, but they just don't have assets. Like it doesn't help Portland in any sense. Brooklyn's to just get got rid the of picks. Miami doesn't have enough assets like right now. Like if you swap, uh, if you swap those, if you swap Miami and Brooklyn, he says I want to go to Brooklyn first. Then yeah, it works out. And there's players, there's picks that you can get. But yeah. when but Miami, he, he would nothing. have to start all of this out by requesting a trade, and that's that's the big domino that we're not sure will ever happen. Will he ever do it? That's will the question. he ever actually request a trade? I mean, the the most bold he's been so far is saying. A different conversation will have to be had. Ooh, big, you know, big threat, big yeah. threat going on right now, and and that's so. I'm with you, even though from a basketball standpoint, I do not see how it works with Damon Scoot long term. Well, so, and if it doesn't work long term, then get busy living or get busy going young. And it's just so interesting because you know, Cronin has made it pretty clear by his actions that he wants to go young. He wants to start over. He wants to put his own stamp on the team, but. Dame's that last piece, the last piece to rebuild, and he hasn't done it yet. That's right. Well, we'll see. We'll talk a little bit about more of it in our final hour. We'll do the 5 at 5. We'll also have our final uh, interviews from uh, celebrities from the reserve on a beautiful day at the Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Now, built by high-caliber millwrights, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, site of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament, here's Stephen Vaughn and Judah Newby with the Bald Face Truth. Final hour, and we're coming in hot, coming in uh, with high gear here at the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. Couldn't ask for a better day. It's the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. And uh, they're, they're at least halfway through now, Stephen. Uh, where are we at with the leaderboard right about now? I know Jim Joyce's team, the longtime former big league umpire, he had the lead a moment ago. Are they still in first place? Uh, yeah, let me pull it up here real quick. Uh, searching, searching, searching. Yes, uh, Jim Joyce's team is now tied 
for the lead here. They've, they're staying at 15 under, but the team at Alpha, Casey Kloss, they're also 15 under. Lisa Johnson, her squad, they're in at 14 under. And then the Ruicks. We just talked to Scott Ruick. Ooh, they're Cole getting Ruick. hot. They're getting out. hot. I told you, watch out, out for them. Scott Ruick, Cole Ruick. They're in fourth place at 12 under par. Ooh. So Jim Joyce and uh, Casey Kloss tied for first place. No, no, up, updated right now as I'm talking. Jim Joyce is back in the lead. Birdied through 14, on 14, Jim Joyce's squad. So they are in Whoa. the lead. Whoa, through 14. So they're coming down the home stretch here. And Jim Joyce's team, he's playing with high caliber. Brandon and the team at high caliber. There you have the lead at 16. Uh, Casey Kloss playing with our own team, Alpha, at 15. Uh, Neil Lomax, we just saw Neil a second ago, and uh, I asked him, I was like, hey, how's the golf? He said, uh, not great. Not great. Not great. And yet, they're only a few shots off the lead here. They're uh, they're sitting at 12 under. Yeah. He's playing with Bricks Tavern, our friends over at Bricks. Neil was saying, hey, I just had a 215-yard approach shot, so I got out my hybrid, and I hit it, and it's got just a little bit of water in front of the green, and it went. I needed it to go 205, and it went 204. <laughs> it went right in the water. We've all been there, Jadel. Oh, We've sorry, all Neil. been there. But, uh, heck of a golfer, that guy. Dale Scott's team is also at uh, 12 under par, so it's coming down the home stretch, so we'll uh, we'll update the scores. Pretty competitive out there, which which you love to see. Uh, we've got interviews later this hour with the head coach of Oregon Duck Baseball, Mark Wazikowski, longtime former Nike executive Fred Schreier, Chris Rogers, director of golf here at the Reserve, and uh, Devon Pouncey and the boy LTD, the rapper, living the dream himself. He'll uh, they will stop by. So a lot to get to, but first let's rip through some of the biggest stories in sports and beyond. It is the five at five. The five at five. All right, Stephen, you and I will rotate stories and uh, react to them off each other. I'll seed it to you first. Story uh, number one. The NFL, they have suspended more players for gambling, Judah. This seems to be a problem in the NFL as of late, but we knew about that. Isaiah Rogers, uh, Rashad Berry on the Colts, both uh, suspended indefinitely for their uh, experiences with gambling. Now, Rogers apparently bet $1,000 on a Colts running back to go over his rushing prop, which uh, I think is interesting. At least he didn't bet him under, I thought. You know, that would be kind of weird if he's betting his own teammate to go under. But uh, that was the largest wager. It was a $1,000 prop bet. Most of the bets uh, for Rodgers were within the $25 to $50 range. Um, Rodgers acknowledged the situation on social media, saying that he takes full responsibility for his actions. So he will be suspended uh, indefinitely and was actually released by the Indianapolis Colts there's been nine players um, that have been suspended this year for violations of the NFL's gambling policy. Five of them have been released. Do you think it's coincidence that these guys getting in trouble are not exactly big-name guys? They're not guys that will move the needle? That's – I don't know. Or they're on that, bad teams. That's a little conspiracy theory there, Jude. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I buy I – mean, uh, Jameson Williams is a good player, but, good I mean, player. Like, he barely played last year because of injury and then six games because he bet on – not NFL, but he bet on it at the team facility. I mean, so are you thinking there's a, some star quarterback that's out there betting on games? Mm, I think they're the, trying to the send a message field. here. They're trying to send a message with uh, suspending the, the non-famous guys <laughs> and saying, hey, any famous guys we catch you out here, this is what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the guys, Nicholas Petit Ferrer on Tennessee, he's been suspended for six games. He, uh, he said he was not betting on the NFL and was betting legally under Tennessee law, but the only reason he got suspended was because it occurred at the Titans facility, which, of course, is against the rules. You can walk across the street, make a bet, and then come back, but you cannot do it while you're on the facility. The rules are just crazy. Uh, The NFL, I think you are partially right that the NFL is doing this, and they're they're coming down real hard on these guys because they aren't big-time playmakers, but it will be interesting to see if 
there's a star quarterback, especially, mm-hmm. that comes out at some point and says. I think Russell Wilson. Yeah. Nah, I don't Whoever know. the Seahawks play. Whoever <laughs> the Seahawks, Seahawks play that week. That's yeah. right. They're quarterbacks exactly. with, <laughs> there's quarterbacks with gambling. <laughs> All right, number two, I'll take this one. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers, James Harden, exercising his player option for $35.6 million. But instead of just out and out coming back to Philly, Woj says it clears the way for the organization and the 10-time All-Star to work together on a trade. Woj floats the L.A. Clippers and the New York Knicks as potential trade destinations for James Harden. How much did this surprise you when uh, when this news came out, Stephen, given that there was a lot of Houston uh, Harden buzz and a lot of other buzz that said, hey, uh, he could just come back to Philly and re-up there. But now it's, he's re-upping and probably getting shipped. Yeah, it's a little interesting. Um, I thought that Harden would probably just opt out and choose where he wants to go, but he must have uh, got, the, got the vibes that there was not a lot of market for him on the open market. And... To get that $37 million guaranteed, uh, you know, those NBA contracts are so good because they're guaranteed money. He gets that money, and now he just says, yeah, I want to be traded now. So I think he looked out in the market, him and his agent, they saw that they're not going to get the deal that they thought they once would. They weren't going to take that uh, extension, but now they're going to take it. They can take the player option look to get out of Philadelphia. I think what's uh, interesting coming up next for that is uh, what do the 76ers do? Because James Harden was an important part of their team. You say what you want about James Harden, but he was still one of their better players and their main ball handler. What did they do with Joel Embiid? Is Joel Embiid happy that James Harden wants to leave? What are they going to get back? Philadelphia was in a spot where it almost seemed like their time has almost passed to become a contender in the NBA. Now where's James Harden go? It's been long rumored he goes to Houston, but is he Ime Udoka? Does he want James Harden? He doesn't play defense. I think he kind of fits there just because you know the, the Rockets do say they want to win now and they're not trying to tank, so he would fit that timeline. But James Harden's in a weird spot where I don't know where he fits in the NBA anymore. All right, number three, Stephen, what do you got? Number three, the Major League Baseball All-Stars have been announced. No Mariners. No Mariners in the starting lineup. And no Adley Rutschman. He got, he got hosed. Jonah Heim of the Texas Rangers named the starting catcher. Hmm. Adley should have been the starting catcher. Texas... The Rangers actually had four starters in the all-star lineup. Jonah Heim, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, and Josh Josh Young. Uh, that's three of their four infielders. Tampa Bay had two with Yandy Diaz, Randy Orozarena. And then for the National League, the Dodgers had three starters, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez. But also Seattle native Corbin Carroll, the rookie of the year, probably in the National League from Arizona. He will be a National League starter for the National League. Do you remember at all the Rangers like division odds before the year? Had to have been big. They were they were kind of struggling, right? Before Boach got there and then we were like, what does Bruce Bochi have at the tank left? Well, the thing was they got they brought in Jacob DeGrom. He was supposed to turn, you know, turn that pitching staff around. He's been hurt all year. He's out for the year. Now it's it's Nathan Eovaldi who's been the guy, That's but wild to me. Nathan Eovaldi. Well, yeah, the Rangers, they're running that division, the AL West, and uh, they got four starters in the All-Star game. No Mariners in the starting lineup because they're disappointing season as it continues. Uh, they lost today, I believe, to the Nationals. Uh, I got to bring Jim Ferretti back yeah. in here who's anchoring things Sorry, back Jim. in our 750 Game Studios. Jim, I know you're a big Mariner fan. Uh, not trending good right now. Dude, six division rival starters on your home turf. You should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, that is brutal. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but we still get one, at least one player from each club represented yeah, at the All-Star Game, Julio right? Julio will be the one person playing, but my God. Do the Mariners deserve to have one All-Star? No, the they don't. No, they don't. Are you in fire service mode? I'm. Am I in fire service mode? Yeah. Meaning like I'm 
ticked you, off. You want, you want to fire Scott Service? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Fire Service. Ah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yes. sorry. Sorry, uh, yeah. Jim uh, wants to fire, she wants to fire uh, everybody uh, on the Mariners. You know, <laughs> it's a tough call. I don't like Service. Haven't liked him for years um, because he hasn't done anything. But then again, it starts at the top, too. DePoto's got to go as well. Uh, he's a Packer fan, too, Scott Service. So. Oh, yeah. He's really got to go now. <laughs> That's why you don't like him, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, but, yeah, I, as much as I love baseball, and by the way, we'll have the All-Star Game and Home Run Derby on the BFT Radio flagship here, 750 the game. Uh, yeah, this was the wrong year for the Mariners to come out flat <laughs> in the first half. The momentum of the playoffs and hosting the All-Star game this year, that's for sure. Uh, number four at the 5-5, five at five, uh, the ESPN Plus ranked the best cores in the NFL. Uh, over under 12.5, Stephen, where do you think the Seattle Seahawks came in? Over under 12.5 as far as best cores in the National Football League. I'm going to go with the – I'll go under. I'll go under that. I think people love Geno Smith. I'm a little uh, not as bullish on Geno Smith this season, but I think I'll go under. You're right. It was under. Number 12 exactly. There we go. Uh, They had Baltimore at 11 and uh, the New York Football Jets at 10. As a Seahawks fan, Cleveland at 9. That seems Hmm. weird. I don't know. But as a Seahawks fan, do you think the Seahawks are getting a little too much attention? Don't you want to be under the radar a little bit more like last season when no one thought anything of the Seahawks? Hmm. Now people are on the Seahawks bandwagon. I don't really feel like – are they on the Seahawks bandwagon? Because here's my thing. They got the 12th best People keep kissing the Niners' backsides, and uh, I respect the Niners, okay? They never stay healthy two years in a row. All right? They've got questions at quarterback. They've got Trey Lance drama. They've got their best players are hurt most of the time with McCaffrey and Bosa and Debo. Their defensive coordinator left to take a head coaching job. You really think they're just going to roll right out there and be the same Niner team like they were last year? Like, they go through ups and downs. That's the thing. Well, I love the Seahawks and FC West odds this year. That's all I'm saying. Look, we, we had this conversation last year. Brock Purdy... I don't know how good he is. Books out on but, Brock. But, but what? But what's there's there, there's no evidence to say that he's not going to have another good season this year. Mm, no, no, I guess not because he's been solid. But at the and same time, squad? he's he, what he played two months of football. McCaffrey, there's Debo, an entire offseason to game plan against the guy now. I mean, you you, you could be back yeah, there quarterback. They're, well, they they probably could. Now they got Sam Darnold. But my my sneaky thing is Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it's yeah. not only because we share initials at JSN. <laughs> I just think that guy is so special. He will be plug-and-play from day one. If you're playing fantasy, like he's going to get some serious target share. He's such a refined route runner. I think he'll be a threat on third down. He will also you know, command some defensive attention away from Metcalf and Lockett. And now you got two-headed running back with Walker and Charbonnet. Your tackles on the outside are pretty freaking good for being rookies last year into second-year men, and I believe in Geno. Like, he could be the top ten, top ten quarterback in the NFL, and that's exactly all you needed to be. The real questions are on defense, where oh, you just need to we, be top ten. That's we, all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a high bar, but we just need the defense to turn it up a little bit from what they were last year, the, which was yeah, the, fine, but not good. The offense is loaded, that's for sure. But can they stop anybody? I mean, yeah. that's that's the real question. All right, and the fifth of the five and five. Steven. Yeah, so college basketball coaches they are split on NCAA tournament expansion. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors that it's going to go from 68 teams to 96 teams. Gross. Which I don't, yeah, I don't agree with that. Uh, Tom Izzo, Michigan State head coach, he said, quote, I just think it's going to get watered down. I worry a little bit about that a little bit. It wouldn't bother me if they did it, but I do worry that it gets watered down and it's not good. I think that 68 is a pretty good number. I think you get enough good first-round games, but that's me. And, quote, that's what Tom Izzo said, and I agree with them. I mean, I love the 68. Now, the 96 would be good for this one thing, Judah, and that would be for people like me that bet on games. There's just more games to bet on. 
right? I mean, I, I can bet on NIT games if I want, but the NCAA tournament, I think, has something so unique in the fact that, you know, nobody pays attention to the regular season in college basketball, and they probably shouldn't because it's not a great product, but the NCAA tournament is so much fun. There's so many upsets. I think I think if you're going to, you know, expand the tournament more, it may be one of those things where you're not thinking about and the grass isn't always greener. You're not going to get the best results. So I'm with the coaches here that don't agree with the expansion, but I understand where some coaches would because, you know, think about it this way. Last year, they expanded the tournament. Oregon, they're probably in the NCAA tournament, and that looks better on your resume. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the NCAA tournament does with that, money, you know, getting more money and stuff. But please stay at 68 from my mind. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be way too much if it's just at 68. And uh, that's the five at five, five biggest stories. Uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, about some of the other news and notes later on in the show. I uh, want to get to a conversation uh, that I just had greenside not long ago with uh, Mark Wasikowski, head coach of Oregon Duck Baseball. They're fresh off the run of the Supers. Uh, they, he was just finishing with his group on uh, 18 and making the turnover back to one. Uh, who's he playing with? He's playing with the Growler guys, uh, Mark Wasikowski. So we had a few minutes with him, Greenside. Here is that conversation. Here with Mark Wasikowski, the head coach, Oregon Ducks baseball out here. We're just off the green at 18 at the uh, BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. It's good to see you, coach. How are things? Great. This is it's a wonderful day, and it's a great cause with John and Anna's cause. I mean, this is fantastic. I'm doing it for the kids out here and just enjoying a nice day with great people. It's fun. Heck of a year. Heck of a year for Ducks baseball. Um, obviously, just coming to one, one game shy of Omaha, and look, that's going to be the goal. We're going to get back there. But what was it like as you look back? You've got a, a couple weeks to look back now on, on the season. How would you summarize it and all the ups and downs, winning the conference tournament, winning at Vandy? I mean, that that's tough to do, and uh, hosting a Super. Well, I mean, yeah, you hit on all of them. And so at the end of it, you know, you just sit back and just go, wow, that was, that was good. That was a lot of fun. You know, and, and the question is always, are we getting better? Are we improving? Are we moving the, fo- the program forward? And the answer is clearly yes. And so, um, and that was, you know, with an exclamation point put behind it by just the fan interest of that Super Regional, you know, when they, when when the city of Eugene got together and sold that super regional out, the all three games in less than an hour, and then it was so popular that they had to build uh, temporary bleachers behind the fence, and then it was so popular that they did a fan fest out in the Autzen yep. Stadium parking lot That's with awesome. all the bouncy houses and the beer trucks and stuff. Thousands of people out there watching the game that couldn't get in the stadium on the back of the, the video board there at Autzen Stadium. That kind of fan interest is what Oregon's all about, and that's why I'm just so lucky to coach there. Now, does it give you also some motivation and a taste of what it what it feels like and you just now you're building to get back to to that making that a more like annual thing let's try to host a a regional host a super and obviously make it to the college world series well it sure does and you know to be able to watch the way that thing finished with coach johnson's club at at, uh, at lsu winning that thing and you sit there and go well all right you see the blueprint for it now with the modern times and how things have changed with recruiting and the nil and the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff that's where the game's at and so you know high school recruiting yes player development i think we're really good at and uh, 
you know, just having a complete deal now where you, you jump into the NIL world and you get into all that transfer portal recruiting. I mean, instead of getting angry about it and all that, it's here. It's not like they're asking us for our opinion and changing rules. And so um, now it's just a lot of fun because, boy, we've seen a lot of interest from fans getting directed in the right ways to where they can uh, help the program and best their abilities, where we yeah. can get uh, the program to Omaha and hopefully win a national championship capitalizing on the interest capitalizing on the attention i love that and how important is it to have really good relationships with guys like pat kilkenny obviously and rob mullins uh and and you know obviously a lot of good uh booster work and collective work done at oregon as well having the baseball program take center stage i would imagine gets everybody's attention around that that's a hey we we got something here that we need to consistently invest in as well well and, and that you know that was the message was loud and clear we all saw that and the fans saw that and you know i wouldn't do any different you know we're sitting there we went all in uh we knew that we were a little thin on on the mound we went all in on game two of that super regional and and we had it where we won one one run lead with uh, nobody on and then out in the ninth and our closer in and and a uh, great team in, ended up beating us in that setting which is uh, what they're supposed to do so um to their credit well done but uh, you know what happened and reflecting on it boy yeah having pat kilkenny um and all the rest of them phil knights and and rob mullins you know leading the charge of the whole thing um, it, the fun part is, is boy, it turns into more of an us thing than it's ever been before. It's not just about the players on the field, but it now turns into a lot of players off the field and, and helping the program is ultimately everybody's cause. And so it's, it's more of an all together business now, which is a lot of fun. Last thing for you. I love your take on what it means for the rivalry with Oregon state. Can you just recap for us? Like, you know, the fact that it's always good to have a little edge and a little rivalry going with two great programs in the same state. Well, I mean, you can't have a rivalry unless, you know, both teams are good, right? If there's one team that's good, one team that's not, there's no rivalry. It's just a, it's no good that, that way. And and so for there to be two teams in the state that are really good, uh, that's fantastic. That's great for the state. It's great for the fan interest, um, you know, and, and be quite candid with you. You know, I coached at Florida, where it's Florida, Florida State, and Arizona, where it's Arizona, Arizona State, and now here, um, where it's Oregon, Oregon State. And, and yeah, there is a, 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 a deep hatred in the two schools and I love it. I think it's great. Um, I think it's uh, it's something that we rally around um, and look to rally around in the future and and I, there's a lot of respect when it comes to our program to, to what they've done um, and nevertheless it doesn't mean we need to like them and because we don't and the bottom line is is it's a lot of fun for the people in our state and we just need to continue to grow it and, and make the rivalry even more and more fun and, and that'll be a lot of fun throughout the years here now. It's one of my favorite pictures of the year was you and Mitch at home plate and Darwin sneaking in there when tensions were getting a little high in one of those series and i'm just like that struck me because i'm like the rivalry's back it's back baby and this is great for baseball fans in our state and obviously from your vantage point to get out on top you did go deeper than them in the postseason this year you won the pac-12 tournament coach so i dare say you got some bragging rights at this point well, that's good, and that's in the past now for us, and so now it's about moving forward and doing a great job of recruiting and stuff, and for us, it's just a lot of fun being able to compete against great programs. There's good programs in our state, and our conference is a great, great conference, and so we're just thrilled to, to you know be on the up, and we're going to keep getting better for the fans of Oregon. Just really appreciate you and want to say thank you to all the people out there that might not have been tuned into Oregon baseball and now are, and they see what fun it is. So, you know, go Ducks, and can't wait to see you next year. Mark Wazikowski, have fun golfing today, and thanks for being out here supporting a great cause. Awesome. Thank you very much.
I love college baseball, Stephen. Love it, and especially in the postseason. So to see the Ducks and the Beavers play for meaningful, uh, some meaningful postseason baseball is awesome. And the Beavers, hey, man, they they uh, you know LSU got them. LSU is stacked. That's Dylan crazy. Cruz, yeah. Cruz, their catcher. Uh, they they got the third baseman that's just unbelievable. They're, animal, they're the best yeah. pitcher of the country in Skeens. I mean, they, congrats to them. Uh, but I, I tell you what, I think Waz is building something sustainable at Oregon. That's good to see. Yeah, and you love to hear the rivalry with Oregon State. Yeah, right? like, that's mean, my favorite part. As an Oregonian, like that's what you love to hear. And the fact that he's like, you know what, we we respect these guys, but we don't have to like them. And I think I think that's what I love best. You know, it's like you you work with people, you play against people. You don't like them, but you respect them. You respect the job that they do, and that's what Oregon is with Oregon State. And they, you know, to be honest, like Oregon wants to be in Oregon State's in their shoes and win those national titles. That's where you know Coach Wise wants to be. And uh, you know, like you said, I think they're building it uh, where they can get to that level because they almost got there this year. You know, like you said, ninth inning, one mm-hmm. out, God. two outs away, right two outs there, away dude. from getting to Omaha, and then ah. who knows what happens at that point. But Oregon with a nice little run in the Pac-12 tournament into the regionals, into the super regionals, that place was popping. It's great, man. I hope I hope to see the momentum continue into next season. They only got a couple of holes left out here, so things are coming down to the wire at the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. With Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby. We'll bounce a break and come back. Still got more conversations on the way, including with uh, longtime Nike executive Fred Schreier and much more. You've got the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. What a day. What a beautiful day. Great day. Great to be out on the golf course. To call the golf course the office for a day or the uh, radio studio is a, is a dream come true that I wish we could do more than once a year. Um, so we'll have to work on that. But Stephen Vaughn, you join me, Judah Newby, and we're coming down to the wire with the, uh, with the leaderboard at the Baldfish Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament here at the Reserve. Uh, top score looks like it's 17 under, Stephen, mm. but we got still got two teams at the top there at 17 with just a few holes left. I mean, this is this is the point where uh, you got to dig deep because it's getting toasty Ooh, out there. It's, it's getting toasty. toasty. I mean, I'm I'm getting a little sweaty just sitting here. The sun's creeping up on our table. I'm about yeah. to move the table back, Judah. But it's a great day outside. It's a great day of golf. Great day of helping people out for the BFT Foundation. So I'm glad to be you know a little part of it as I am today with you, Judah and. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens at the end of this uh, tournament here. Lisa Johnson, her squad versus uh, Casey Claus and Alpha. 17 under par, coming Ooh. down the last couple of holes. It's going to be a photo man. finish. We just had Dale Scott's team uh, go by as well. They're right in the hunt with uh, high caliber. They're at uh, 14 under, a few shots off the pace. Uh, Jim Joyce and his team just a shot back at 16 under. So the umpires got their teams in the thick of it as well. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, shout out to all the folks that uh, put in the work to make this happen each and every year. And we also wouldn't be here without the hospitality of the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. We had a chance to catch up with the director of golf here at the Reserve, Chris Rogers. We have this conversation every year. Love talking golf with Chris, seeing what's new at the Reserve. Here is that conversation from earlier today. Absolutely beautiful day out here at the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. Side of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament and live broadcast here on 750 The Game and the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Alongside Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby. And pleased to be joined now by Chris Rogers, the Director of Golf here at the Reserve. We have him on each and every year. And Chris, this is always one of my favorite days of the year coming out here. The weather has cooperated beautifully as it does uh, every time we 
we make it out here. But how are you, and how are things here at the reserve? Oh, thanks for having me, and and we appreciate uh, the Ball Face Truth being here. And it couldn't be a better day, or a better week, or a better month. Everything's going well. It's just it's just phenomenal. I say it every every year that we're here. It's uh it's one of the days I look back on as one of my favorite shows and favorite days of the year. I've golfed in this event. Uh, I've helped behind the scenes with this event some years. I've, more often than not, we're doing the broadcast here as well. So, but you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it as well. Uh, w- what's it like? I know the Canzanos are it's so hard to work with, right? <laughs> I can I can attest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's uh, there's a, there's a, a great team here all the way from from the turf care staff that gets the course ready to uh, the event staff that has the food and beverage ready to our our golf side and golf team that gets gets the tournament itself ready it's uh it's a coordinated effort and everybody is uh excited because this is kind of the beginning of the golf tournament and event season mm. in june and so everybody's got a lot of energy and, and ready to get going i was wondering about that yeah what what is uh what's that calendar like for for people trying to are we on the south course today the north course, north course. we're on the north, north course. course today is that yeah. is that typically where uh where uh big parties go well north? our our <laughs> uh yeah our uh our courses rotate every two weeks between public play and member play. That's right. So, so depending on the time of the month that the event is, since it's the latter part of the month, the North Course is going to get the event. If if it was booked during the uh, first part of the month, the South Course would get it. I'm going to say this: as a former golf maintenance guy, uh, I used to work at a country club. I can see little nuances that all the people do here. They look great. Looks yeah. great. A plus for me. Um, it's the hanging baskets for me. Yeah, hanging yeah. baskets. It's just this, this little stuff that you wouldn't notice, Judah. It's like it's you know, like Augusta. The, the bunkers, right. how you rake them, it's, it's everything. It, you got <laughs> you got to do it the correct way, or else you know, they don't like it. Have you cleaned up uh, driving range balls? No, you I not? wish. Yeah, I wish they didn't let me. You take some there. punishment <laughs> <Yeah>. out there. <laughs> no. that. Actually, that's. I was wondering, how do you become a director of golf well, at a, at first a golf? Of, director course? of golf is just a it's sweet. Such, it's like, really sweet. <laughs> like growing up as a kid, you're like, you want me to be a director of golf? It's got to be right. a cool. It's title. also dog. It's like he's the dog here, man. You know, Chris Rogers. So been very fortunate i've been with the reserve since it opened in 97 so i've wow. been here for 26 years started as a assistant golf professional uh actually started even before that on a turf care team and that, <laughs> that was that was great and and have, have been fortunate to be able to work my way through it and and uh oversee the golf operation and, and day-to-day uh activities so it's it's a uh, it's a great team it's a great owner we're we're really lucky and and uh i'm appreciative golf as a golf pro i uh i'm expecting you to go out there the next uh you know big major tournament and make a cut and be talking the town I know. is that is that okay to be you know the next exactly. michael block yeah exactly yeah, we were, like we were talking <laughs> chris about rogers is the next michael block I let's think, go uh, let's do it michael block is pretty amazing to be able to put on that kind of show at that level was was quite it quite great for all pga professionals did you see the reaction of some of the people from his home course down there and wherever he is in southern california yeah. mission viejo or wherever like that was cool yeah. that was cool to see the people from his home course like rooting for him and slam dunking the hole in one on uh, sunday i'm were. sure that could resonate with someone like you well i think that that's uh a, again a product of what a good 
professionally is to have that kind of a following and to be able to have that kind of support is uh, amazing. And didn't raise his rates after that. No, apparently. That's what I, heard. See, I would have I, I capitalized. <laughs> <laughs> Talk with Chris Rogers, director of golf here uh, at, at the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. Been here since '97. Uh, for for those that have yet to play here or haven't had the the chance to play here yet, um, describe a little bit about what the reserve is all about and the North Course and South Course. And, sure. How they how they play? Well, what's really nice about our facility are the two courses that are on it are very different. The the South Course is the course that opened first. It's a more traditional uh, American style, more bunkers, uh, a little bit longer. Uh, the North Course, which the event today is being played on, is a little bit shorter, but it has more water, more of a link style <laughs> course. People so, can jump in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, you use all your clubs in your bag. It's it's uh, it's nice to have the variety and and again. And the conditioning makes it, uh, irregardless of what you play, you're going to have a great experience. What's uh, what's your take on just the whole PGA Live Tour you know, rivalry now? They're getting together, connection. You know, as a golf fan, how do you feel about all that? And uh, does it make you not want to watch the PGA as, PGA as much or uh, anything like that? No, I think you're still going to see the best players in the world play against one another. I think uh, they still have, seems to me, a lot of things to figure out uh, to make it work, to, to bring the live players back on to some sort of agreement with the tour. But uh, I think that it's, it's a worldwide game. And, and I think that this is just part of the process to, to bring it to such. Mm-hmm. Who were some of your favorite golfers growing up when you were starting to get into the game? You know, not, I, not to date you or anything. Yeah, I, I, I know, say it. I, I say know. it because when I, uh, the reason I bring it up is because some of my fondest memories growing up are watching, you know, the, the Masters on CBS and, you know, Tiger in 05, But even like before that turn of the century stuff, and I know, yeah, that, that's when I was growing up. So that's that's what I, what I'm going to remember most. But I'm always struck by the game, how the game of golf has certainly grown, but it's also got a rich history, a rich television history yeah. with uh, that's spanning, you know, generations at this point. My my all-time favorite was uh, Ben Hogan. Mm, yeah. From from a long time ago from the 50s and and the 40s and he uh was in a really bad car accident right. and was still able to go out and win win all the majors. So so he's uh, a great example of of work ethic. Uh I don't think you can go wrong with Tiger's game and and what he's meant to the game. Uh growing up I I remember watching Nicholas win the 86 Masters and and knowing that this is this is kind of where I want to go with my career and mm-hmm. is just to see to see the ex- excitement and what that generated as far as interest in the game as well. When he was 46 at the time? 46, I think you're right. That, and that was one of Jim Nance's first Masters yeah. and he's still doing it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that that is uh that is amazing. And so what do you make of, you know, we brought up the the PGA and and live and the future of the game of golf. Where do you see it kind of going from here? I mean, the live says it's going to try to stick around and be the live for a while and obviously Jay Monahan's comments uh, you know, caused a stir when <laughs> and the news itself of the merger, the so-called merger, you know, caused a stir as well. It's just a different it feels like we're about to start a different era of professional golf and there's a little bit of nervousness with that, but there's also a little bit of eh, let's see what this is like. Yeah, like I said, I think you're still going to see the best players playing against the best players. Um I think looking at golf from the community and local level, golf is growing. Golf was, you know, a, a byproduct of 
with COVID, the game has grown uh, because it was one of the only things that we could do at the time, and I think it's it's, it's allowed a lot of people to stay in the game. And uh, I just think the future's the future's looking bright for golf. As a guy who's uh, self-proclaimed not great at golf, uh, what would be like one the most important thing you could just teach someone? You know, someone golf it. Like, what's the most important mm, thing that I need to great do? Question. To uh, this is a personal question, really. Okay. What, what what can I do? Just you know, one thing I can focus on that's going to help my game out. Okay. Well, I would say that if say you had an hour. Yeah. Of time to practice. Right. And you look at the, the clubs that you use in your bag on a regular basis. You use your driver, your wedges, and your putter the most. Hmm. Okay. Probably about 75% of your shots are with those clubs. So with, with that hour, you should have at least 45 minutes de- dedicated to just those clubs. Okay. You shouldn't be out on the range trying to perfect your 7-iron. Hmm. Even though it might be your favorite club that you like to hit, yeah. you should spend most of your time chipping, putting, and putting the, putting the driver in the fairway. Have you ever hit a hole in one? Just one. Really? Where yeah, was it? It was over here on the north. <laughs> what yeah. hole? Uh, number three. Number three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not a lot. I haven't had a lot of luck with that. But, but just one. It was, it was, it was pretty great. How about you? Nope. No. No, not even no. close. Did, did you do the traditional thing and buy everyone around and uh, you know celebrate it? I did with my group. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. Slam dunk. Slam dunk. It didn't no even way. bounce. It went straight in. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. That's crazy. That is. <laughs> I'm still. I don't understand the physics of it, but it, it's one of the more amazing things to watch in sports. I think is the slam dunk tee shot on a par three because you see it on the you know the approach sometimes on par fours or eagles on fives, but yeah. or bunker bunker shots. You yeah, yeah. but to a tee shot that gets that apex and just like goes right boom. in, yeah, yeah, crazy. What a feeling! Yeah, that's right. You only think about that a handful of times yeah. a week, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Chris Rogers, we appreciate your time. And before we let you go, what what else uh, is on the horizon for for uh, the course this uh, the rest of this summer, this golf season? And boy, if the weather stays like this, we're going to be playing golf uh, into November, December. No, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I think I think that's the main thing. Is you know living in Oregon. You, you can pretty much count the calendar to be pretty uh, predictable for the next sure. three or four months, and, and uh, we encourage everybody to come out and play. It's it's nice to have the two-course rotation, and, and it works for members, works for the general public, and, and we just want to make sure everybody has a great experience. And as someone that's partook in the uh, lovely tasting room and yes. uh, restaurant upstairs. Absolutely. That's another good reason yeah, to come out. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> try to try to hit it on all levels. Chris Rogers, Director of Golf at the Reserve, site of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament and live broadcast. I'm going into my Nance voice now. Chris, <laughs> thank you for the time, sir. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Appreciate it. Oh, the Nance voice. How was my Nance voice, Stephen? It was, uh, it was good. It wasn't great. It was good. It was, yeah, good. Hard good. to get a great Nance voice. I mean, Nance is a legend, right? I mean, Lance is a legend at what he does. We were just talking. I think golf is probably his yeah. best. The Masters with Nance is probably his best thing. I do too. And I'm I, not. I don't love him on the Final Four. I know he's done with the Final Four, and I don't even love him on the NFL. But I love him on the Masters. And I agree with you. I uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't fight you on either of those. I think Ian Eagles does a great job on the Final Four, or will do a great job on the Final Four. Um, and yeah, the NFL, you know. Here's my take on play-by-play guys, Judah. You got to bring something. You got to bring some type of knowledge to the broadcast. Where I think back in the day, mm-hmm. even maybe even five, ten years ago, 
He didn't have to bring any knowledge. He just had to bring like a cool voice and a cool, like a good presence, a cool gimmick, yeah, and be in control and a gimmick. Yeah. Now you, now you gotta have a, you gotta provide a little bit of something, but not too much. At the same time, I don't want to hear you, you know, trying to educate me as the play-by-play guy. What's going on? I need just a little bit, but not too much. It's a very fine line. Nance, you know, Nance just doesn't do it for me for certain sports, but golf, he does do a great job. I think I golf. I feel very passionately about this topic of good play-by-play. I know, play I know you do analysis. So we're gonna have to. Uh, we'll be filling in for John top today in, in July. By the way, I think the Phil Steele magazine is out. Someone, I saw someone tweet the Phil Steele magazine at a bookstore today. I think it's out there. I need your Mount Rushmore of play-by-play guys, dude. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. John will take some time off in July, so uh, we'll be filling in. <laughs> That'll be one of our segments. Let's not forget this time. Oh, <laughs> we need to keep a it, list going. It's, it's locked. It's locked into my memory. <laughs> oh, leaderboard is coming down to the wire. Oh, man. It's getting stressful out there, but uh, no one's feeling it because everybody's having a really good time. But uh, one team is in the lead at 18 under par. We'll tell you who it is and uh, who's going to come out on top. we got one more segment to go. We'll also have a conversation with Fred Schreier, longtime Nike executive, worked with Michael Jordan. We'll talk to him and uh, wrap this thing up. Taking it home. Bringing it home. We're, we're coming, uh, coming in from 18 right now here mm-hmm. on uh, the Baldface Truth. Radio Network, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, side of the ninth annual BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament. Back to the bald-faced truth, live from the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club, site of the BFT Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament on 750 The Game. Hello, friends. Welcome to a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> Jim Nance himself. Thanks, I thought that was uh, you, Judah. Jim Fer- yeah, that was did, me. Did you not say that? That was me, actually. Uh, Jim Ferretti, a nice touch right there, bringing it back. They are uh, almost wrapping up on the course right now uh, through 16 holes. We got a leader uh, with a two-shot lead. That's, uh, oh, my goodness, Team Ooh. Alpha. Team Alpha. I feel like this is rigged. <laughs> little shady shades. But, hey, that's my team, so uh, no. go go Team Alpha. Do we get uh, bonuses if they win? I hope so. We <laughs> helped them. We gave them good pub all yeah. along the way. Uh, before we uh, wrap it up officially, let's uh, hear from our, our last conversation of the day. A longtime former Nike executive, worked with Michael Jordan on a bunch of things at Nike. Uh, Fred Schreier stopped by uh, a little bit ago. This is our conversation with Fred right here on the Bald Face Truth. And we're sitting here on a, just an absolute beautiful day here at the Reserve alongside Stephen Vaughn. I'm Judah Newby, side of the ninth annual Bald Face Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament at the Reserve Vineyards and Golf Club. And across the table from us, longtime sports executive, longtime uh, Nike man, Fred Schreier joining us on the show. Fred, it's great to see you and talk to you. How are you? Thank you, Judas. Great to be here. Fun to be uh, participating in John's event. What team are you playing with today? I'm with the Gresham Ford guys, so uh, yeah. I just saw you guys on 18 a second ago. He's a putting machine. They're making them from everywhere. They lined up a 15-footer. Fred pointed out the line, and this guy just, boom, sunk it a little right to left. Just great teamwork right there. Putting covers up a lot of warts, I'll tell you what. We're looking, uh, yeah, we're hanging in there for for what we got so it's fun you it's came, a good time you came on the show with john not too long ago and and uh one of the topics was the uh the nike air movie that had come out and i just got to see it recently uh it was on amazon prime too yeah. which was yeah, yeah. which was pretty cool but what were your overall uh how'd you enjoy the film I, it was it was pretty fascinating from someone oh, yeah, watching yeah. it from the outside in no i enjoyed it and you know i came to nike about two years after the movie mm-hmm. but wow all those people, I mean, you know, 
I worked, Sonny worked for me theoretically to the extent Sonny works for anybody. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it was fun. I mean, obviously, uh, they took a, some uh, liberties in, in, uh, in how they produced it. And I think in truth, you know, probably Rob Strasser and Peter Moore's roles got downplayed. Mm. And Sonny's maybe overplayed a little bit. But Sonny was clearly the advocate to sign Michael. I think Rob and Peter were really the leaders in, you know, creating brand Air Jordan at the time. That was one of your key roles when you were at Nike was was with Michael Jordan well, in that I, relationship. Yeah. yeah, I came in in the middle of the first deal, and Rob and Peter had left, and there was a lot of concern about what was going to happen, and that was kind of my first major role was re-signing Michael and kind of doing that. So I might be in the sequel. But <laughs> I wasn't there for that one. But, yeah, if, if they did a second, I was the guy who negotiated I, that with Phil yeah. when, when we did that. I'm thing. assuming there's enough stories to have a sequel to that as well, right? Well, I mean, there, are a lot, well be. there are, but, yeah, Sonny would not be, uh, you know, I mean, Sonny is, it's really Sonny's movie when you watch the movie. And, and with good reason. I mean, Sonny is a character and, you know, a big figure in, in kind of college and, and pro sports uh, basketball in particular. So, um uh, but yeah, so his role maybe was enhanced a little bit in the others. I thought they made Phil look a little goofier than he was, to be honest with you. He, Phil's a little quirky, but he's not kind of as goofy as Affleck played him. But. Did, did he have the purple sports car? Was that a thing? Uh, I don't know about that. You know, he had, I'm trying to remember the part. I thought it was black, to be honest with you. That sounds I mean, right. Yeah, I think he, it I, was. He's always wearing black whenever I... Yeah, I mean, you know, they... they <laughs> There's a couple things in the movie that just jumped out at me right away. Like my favorite part, like right off the get go, and I won't bore your listeners too long with this, but you know they're they're kind of setting the stage. And the, op- the opening scene, Sonny's in the high school gym and he's watching, you know, the young kid. And he says, "Yeah, you're good. You're yeah, you're going to get a scholarship. Don't worry." And then they show him jetting on his way to Portland, stopping in Vegas, right? And yep. They show him jump in a casino and he makes a few bets. I mean, he plays a little craps and then he places some bets. And the bets he are placing, if you were paying attention, were player props. There was no such thing then. That's FanDuel and and really? uh, DraftKings. Yeah. I mean, so in the '80s, you could bet the over/under and who could win. And I'm going, come on, you know. But that's what today's audience would relate to. I'm all that's about a, the player props. Yeah, that really yeah, got me. I didn't realize they were. A thing. He's going, give me magic under eight assists exactly and so and so right. over twenty points. I'm going, you couldn't bet that then. As a true DJ, <laughs> as a true DJ, I love that. I love that the little you know, so, little points yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Could, you couldn't do that you no do that that, one, no, no. that didn't exist so they sneak that in you yeah. know and i mean they're th- those kind of things but if but i think people enjoyed the movie i mean they made it look like the campus was built in the mid 80s and the campus didn't open until about 90 right so i mean the the offices look nothing like they were portrayed in the mid 80s when uh when when you know the events were taking place but i'll tell you who was portrayed to a T, that was Dolores Jordan. I mean, Viola Davis had that part down pat. She, that she was, that awesome. was Dolores Jordan. And so, like yeah. super convincing yeah, and like yeah, yeah. seamless. She, yeah. Now that was, that's kind of who, yeah. who his, Michael's mom was. Now who do you want to play you in the sequel. What, what actor <laughs> yeah, yeah. plays Fred Schreier? Yeah, well, you know, I figured it'd be George Clooney myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
see the resemblance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's perfect. I just, actually, I just want his steak at Casamigos. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're really pushing that. That's everywhere I see. I know you're yeah. in the middle of a round, so we'll let you go. But but for our listeners as well, what what was it like working with Michael Jordan on a, on a professional level well, and personal level? Yeah, like, how, yeah. How'd you know the man? Well, you know, Peak of his I mean, powers. Michael now is so has became such a big figure that you can't really get close to him. Or I mean, unless you're truly in his inner circle. I mean, you know, I came on in about year three of his professional career, and he was still kind of a guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, and uh, obviously, I mean, I'm I'm biased, but I think the best of all time. And I've worked with LeBron. I love LeBron too, but I'd take, still take Michael. But he, you know, but he's he became so big and. I, you know, it's just you can't really. I don't even know how you can relate to Michael anymore. Yeah, once he, he once he gets to a certain plan. level, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just it's he's he's inaccessible. But he was it was fun. Now that I think about it, how was David Falk portrayed? He was portrayed pretty accurately. He was, <laughs> that was a screamer. A fun character. He loved to try to intimidate <laughs> you and yell at you. And he, that would be my next one. I mean, and you know, uh, Chris Tucker played Howard White, who's been there with Michael the whole time, and Howard's a great guy. Uh, they played character. him a little goofier. Howard's yeah. not quite as goofy sure. as that, <laughs> but you know, kind of George Raveling one too. George is yeah, uh, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, you know, I think George just validated. George came to Nike later after he left. I think. Had he left SC? Uh, he, maybe there was a coaching stop after SC. I can't remember before yeah. he came to Nike. But he came to Nike in like the mid to late 90s in college basketball and stuff. But, I mean, he was more, you know, he was still coaching it, during the time of the movie. And it was more an advisor kind of, yeah, he's the deal or the real deal just to, you know, validate the selection. Yeah what people were saying it's always great to catch up with thank you thank you it's good to see you fresh off a of birdie on 18 <laughs> I better run my teammates are probably waiting on me I think you're the ringer alright guys the group. thanks Fred great seeing you thank There's you Fred Schreier longtime sports executive with Nike joining us on the show and that's how we'll wrap it up Steven it's been a lot of fun it's been a great show great time and uh, can't wait to be out here next year catch the podcast if you missed any one of our bevy of celebrity golf interviews thanks to John Cazano thanks to the sponsors this has been the live broadcast from the ninth annual Boldface Truth Foundation Celebrity Golf Tournament from the Reserve catch you tomorrow